0: Hi, this is Jeff. And this is Steve. From
1: From the 12A Podcast. Thanks for listening to the 4Eyed Radio Network. Check out other shows at 4EyedRadio.com.
0: Starfleet Escape Podcast. Prepare for launch in 3, 2, 1. Enjoy the ride.
1: Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the 4Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode number thirty, part two, and is being recorded on October fourteenth, twenty thirteen. Today's topic more favorite moments from Star Trek the Next Generation. I'm Eric.
0: And I'm Aaron. This episode is brought to you by America Joy Print Shop, official sponsor of the Four Eyed Radio Network. For high quality business cards, flyers, banners, cut vinyl, and more, visit AmericaJoy.com. How's it How's going, good? Eric?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's going. Not good. too shabby. The past couple weeks have been pretty crazy at work, so mm-hmm. it will probably continue that way until the end of the year and then forever. But oh. um, <laughs> but I'm hanging in there, so.
0: Good. Yeah. Good, good. We missed you the last episode.
1: I missed you guys, too. <laughs> as, as I hold back the tears. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, I missed you guys. But yeah, we're getting my thoughts on The Next Generation because I would have loved to participate in that mm-hmm. episode. I mean, I grew up on Star Trek The Next Generation, so it, it was my first Star Trek. Right. So it's one of my favorites. Likewise. I know, I did listen to the episode. Yes. That you guys did, so. Yes. It's quite good.
0: Yes, I could <laughs> ramble on for hours about The Next Generation.
1: So could I, but that's why we're only doing the best of, because this could be like a six-hour podcast if we wanted to. That's true. But we won't subject our listeners to that. (laughs) (laughs) How's it going with you?
0: Uh, Not bad. Uh, Yesterday was my 30th birthday.
1: Happy birthday. Thank you. Welcome to the 30s with the rest of us.
0: Yes, yes.
1: (laughs) How does it feel? You you hanging in there?
0: Yeah, so far so good. Nothing's fallen off yet.
1: It's only it, been a day. Yeah it's, not like, yeah, it's not like a magical thing that, you know, once you hit 30, it's like, oh, well, there goes my bowel movements or something, you know.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, no, Uh. so far so good. Can't wait to get back to work tomorrow, I guess. Did you enjoy, t- did you have today off?
1: Hell no. Oh, only people in education and the government and the post office get Columbus Day Off.
0: Oh, I had today off.
1: Oh, yeah, because you're in education. <laughs> yeah. So, That's yeah. kind of nice, though.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's a welcomed, welcomed day off. Uh, so why don't we get into some Star Trek news?
1: I'm all for it. Let's go.
0: Okay. So Brian Miller, the producer of the unsuccessful Star Trek video game and the SVP of Worldwide Marketing Partnerships and Consumer Products for Paramount, will be leaving at the end of the year.
1: Yes, and this also kind of comes off the news that uh, J.J. Abrams was actually highly disappointed in the Star Trek game. I guess uh, he wasn't happy with how it came out, and he kind of left early on in the process.
0: Right, the development of the game.
1: Yeah, Yeah. which is kind of sad to hear, because for all of its flaws, Mm -hmm. I think it's a great two player game.
0: Right. And we've played it together well, part of it together online.
1: We still have to finish our playthrough. We do. Because I would be, like to finish that game. You haven't
0: finished it one uh,
1: No, I've been I've player. been waiting. I've been uh, like on pins and needles. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah we'll we'll do that. Do that soon hopefully.
1: Yeah I think it it's a great two player game because the two player aspect totally negates the negative AI and like mm-hmm. all the Kind of the crappy problems that it has. I mean, right. still there's some bugs here and there, but I think if you're playing it with another person, it's so much fun. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, I, I played it straight through single player AI terrible. Playing it with you, the small amount of time that we did play it, it was so much better.
1: Well, we got we got halfway through the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it it's a lot of fun because you're like, oh and help me out and. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. Exactly.
1: <laughs> And you can like laugh at the really bad moments or the funny deaths that happen. Mm-hmm. And you're like, ah, oh, no.
0: Yeah, like how I kept on falling.
1: <laughs> oh, that I, that last <laughs> mission. <laughs> yeah. With the skydiving or whatever that was.
0: Oh, it wasn't even skydiving, dude. I was just trying to jump up to the ne- up to a ledge, <laughs> and I kept on falling to like.
1: Fire. Oh, with that Gorn part, right? Jumping uh, around with the, those Gorn.
0: No, it wasn't the Gorn. It
1: was like oh, in the ship. I in remember. The ship.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, I just kept on falling into fire. I was like, what? What can Why can't I jump up there?
1: Oh man, that stinks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, but yeah, he's he's leaving. So sorry, Brian. Yes, sorry, Brian. M- maybe uh, make a better game next time. <laughs> maybe. <laughs>
0: So the Arizona State Fear will have uh, Star Trek The Exhibition. Uh, Eric Dewey went to this yesterday.
1: Oh, yeah, because they're out in Phoenix.
0: Yeah, so he that actually... That
1: lucky son of a...
0: <laughs> yeah, he has an audio clip uh, that he said that he will send me. So hopefully, maybe, I can edit it into this episode. <gasps>
1: Wow, I know, right? I, I want to know when the exhibition is coming to Chicago because that needs to happen ASAP.
0: Yeah, or and even
1: Boston. I mean, right for for you guys.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to like Frankfurt, Germany. I think. No,
1: we're... why, God, why? <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I go think, <laughs> I think so. Yeah,
1: you know, let's see. I'm I'm going to the Wikipedia. Oh, wow, this has actually been going on for a while. This has been going on since 2008.
0: Oh, wow, that is a long time.
1: And it's because they stay in these cities for like long periods of time. Mm. So they've been in California. Oh well. See, they were in, Ari- in Phoenix, Arizona in 2008. Like, they don't need to get them again. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? I don't know.
0: Maybe there are a lot of Trekkies in Arizona.
1: California's gone it quite a few times. The closest it's been to me mm-hmm. is St. Louis, Missouri, and that was in October 2011 to May 2012.
0: Mm. Oh, that's a long, big chunk of
1: time. I I just wanted to come here. <laughs> <laughs> Chicago, we need this. We don't get anything. Whack mm. whack whack. We got the right standard. now. Right now, it's in Taiwan and Phoenix. Oh, really. So they have two exhibitions going on at the same time. Huh. Taiwan's a little out of the way, though.
2: So. <laughs> uh, slight, slight.
1: Well, hopefully one day it will come to a awesome place near us. Hopefully. I think uh, Dr. Sci-Fi went to the exhibition, too. Oh, really? He's out. he's out there.
0: Oh, I'm sure he did, yeah.
1: So he did that because he actually, on one of his last episodes, uh, he reviewed it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that was pretty good. I was so jealous. I'm like, come on, why don't we get it?
0: <laughs> Someday, I mean, it has to eventually, right?
1: Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> Any day now.
0: Yeah. Fingers crossed. Twenty fourteen. Yes. <laughs> so Star Trek continues Kickstarter campaign dubbed Kirk Starter. Is attempting ha ah. <laughs> is attempting to raise money to do more quality episodes. They have a goal of $100,000 by November 3rd, 2013. And we have the link in the show notes if you guys want to go and donate.
1: Nice. So I, I, think it's a, I think that's awesome. That's quite a lofty goal, but I think they can do a lot with that. Right. I'm going to check to see what they're... Oh, wow. They're already at $27,000. 27000 Yeah, and there's 22 days left to go.
0: Right. Oh, wow. So, they're well on their way.
1: Yeah, hopefully.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, they've got some cool stuff. They've got, like, PDF of the script. Mm. You can get a large resolution digital version of the episode poster. Mm. And you can get some other cool stuff. That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. They've got... Oh, wow. Yeah, they got a lot of cool stuff. I would check it out.
0: Yeah, I saw a, a video clip of... Uh, I think Vic,
1: mm-hmm.
0: the, the guy who plays Kirk. Yeah. He, he's also he's playing a Cardassian in uh, Star Trek Renegades. And oh, very he, cool. He was in the Cardassian makeup and doing a pitch for the Kirk starter, um, trying to get people to donate money to uh, Star Trek continues.
1: And just based on the first episode alone, mm-hmm. it's high quality. Like, I want to see this like, go on for a while because they have some great possibilities at what they can do with this.
0: Right, and we did an episode where we reviewed reviewed their episode.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was so good that we reviewed a fan-based production.
0: It's the best quality fan production that I've seen, so...
1: Yeah, the sets and the costumes and everything, it looks like a 60s episode, but done today. Mm-hmm. It's It's pretty awesome. Exactly. Speaking of another fundraising campaign and another Star Trek project, Mm -hmm. uh, the Green Girl documentary on Susan Oliver, who played uh, Vina in The Menagerie, Mm -hmm. they are doing a second uh, funding drive. This time at Indiegogo. Their first one was through Kickstarter. And they plan on releasing this documentary in February of 2014, but they need an additional $10,000 that will be used for two purposes. Uh, color correction, uh, just because they have so many different sources of mm. footage and photos and all the different interviews, right. they really need the color correction to tie it all together. Mm-hmm. And the other $5,000 is for errors and omissions insurance, which I guess is uh, coverage that any film needs to be released. I see. A film can't be publicly released without this insurance, and that's just to cover them getting sued in case they get some facts wrong.
0: So I I guess that's
1: pretty standard in the industry, especially with uh, documentaries. I see. So they're on Indiegogo. We have the uh, link in the show notes. And I've already donated. And what was great is uh, George, the director of this project, he did an email through the original Kickstarter campaign. And he said, hey, guys, I've got the new fundraising going up. And he's like, if you've already participated and you know did your part with the Kickstarter, he's like, do not feel obligated to you know, do this one, you've already, you know, done your share and, Mm -hmm. but I don't know, I'm, I feel like I kind of want to donate again just because I think it's such a great project and, uh, just the stuff that they released about Susan Oliver so far, I think a lot more people need to hear her story. So I, I think it's a good project to donate to.
0: Cool. Yeah. So check over to our website.
1: You can trek over.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. There you go. Trek over. To to our our website, look at the show notes, and the link will be right there. Click on it, and you'll be able to donate.
1: Or you can just search on Indiegogo for The Green Girl. Right. But check our show notes out, too.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, another cool rumor kind of thing, uh, Star Trek Into Darkness producer Bob Orsi has told Sky News that a new TV series could be in the works.
1: Dun-dun-dun.
0: But I guess a month ago, J.J. Abrams said that he's not interested in a TV
1: series. But Probably not at this time, right. or they have to say that because of legal stuff. Maybe. Who knows? I don't see why they wouldn't be interested, because the Star Trek movies are making them money hand over fist right now.
0: Were well, they making CBS money, or Paramount money, or both?
1: Both, because CBS deals with the licensing for Star Trek and it being shown on the TV side of it, but also the licensing. Like, Paramount Mm -hmm. is for the movies. So even though, you know, Paramount's probably getting a a lot of this money, Mm -hmm. uh, CBS is getting money on the new movies just through licensing. I see. So it would be in their best interest to make more money for them doing right. a TV show since they run the TV side of things yeah I don't know I'm not a I'm not a <laughs> producer guy but to right. me that just makes good business and marketing sense
0: yeah yeah or right, maybe they're not interested in the JJ verse series
1: and I hope that means that yes that they're going away from abrams and maybe they're planning something for the 50th that's set back in the prime universe mm-hmm or that could just be my wildest dreams. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: And and I think most people's uh, so I don't know, I I've said before.
1: Yeah, we've speculated. Yeah. We've you guys already know what we want to see in a right. future series, but I think we can all agree that Star Trek needs to be on TV again. Exactly. It's me- it's meant to be a TV show. Right.
0: But speaking of TV, uh, yes. There there have been a series of commercials featuring Star Trek, the first of which on this list is the iPhone 5C commercial, which features two Trekkies in clean-on makeup speaking in clean-on. I guess to Siri? Um, I don't really know. <laughs> uh, but they're speaking into the iPhone 5C.
1: Well, the whole commercial is about greetings and people greeting other people when answering their phone. So I think mm-hmm. it, they weren't talking to Siri, it was okay. just like they were talking to another truckie who knew Klingon <laughs> yeah, and I, introduced I themselves. Yeah. I thought it was hilarious.
0: Yeah, it's a funny commercial. Because you don't expect it because there are, um, like you said, they're going uh, from scene to scene in this, uh, shot to shot in this commercial of people speaking in different languages presumably saying hi or or whatever. Yeah. But then they get to the set of Klingons. <laughs>
1: uh, I think it's great because, I mean, Star Trek has, you know, great languages that they've developed and Klingon mm-hmm. being the most fully realized of right. the Star Trek languages. And I mean, there's a lot of people out there who speak it. It's like a right. r- real living language, which is kind of cool. And, Thank God for Apple for like recognizing that and mm-hmm. bringing that into this commercial. Right. Plus, you know, where would the iPhone be without the Star Trek communicator back in the sixties? Right. Exactly. And it's also kind of like a pad too, if you think about it. But anyways.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, uh, you're right.
1: It's- <laughs> we live, we live in an age where we have pads. Like yeah. it's called but, the iPad. I mean, come mm-hmm. on. Right. Where, where did they get that from?
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs)
1: Um, The future is here, man. It's crazy. Oh, my goodness. Boom. mind's blown. Um. (laughs) The next commercial, uh, I really like this one. Mm -hmm. Sulu and Science Officer 0718... So John Cho and uh, Joseph Gatt they reprise their roles from Star Trek Into Darkness into an action-packed 30-second commercial for General Electric. I thought it was a great commercial, and I, I, can't, I can't believe they filmed this just for this commercial.
0: Right. It, it was it was cool, but then I was like, "Where's the commanding officer? I don't even see the captain's chair anywhere." Um,
1: yeah it was it was weird'cause it was a slightly modified set right to it was a little bit smaller, yeah, but it definitely got the look and feel of the enterprise, but yeah, it was a little weird. I noticed that too i'm like where where is this
0: yeah they obviously did it just so that you wouldn't see like oh yeah the captain's there he 's just off off to the off to the left and don't worry about it he 's there he's just not talking
1: in this highly critical situation.
0: <laughs> yeah, and he's not giving the command to, you know, punch it or anything like that. Yeah. I thought it was cool. No, was was that a hologram or was that just like on the plexiglass screen? I couldn't tell.
1: I think it was on the plexiglass screen.
0: Okay. Like it was just like a touch sensitive screen and Yeah. Okay.
1: I just, e- even though we got to see the Officer 0718, mm-hmm. this commercial, it makes me want to know more about this character. Mm-hmm. Like, what are his origins? What species is he? You know, what is this? Like, Exactly. I, 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 I want to know more about his character, and it's so interesting that they included him in this, as mm-hmm. opposed to, like, maybe Chekhov or someone.
0: Right, yeah. Because Chekhov would have worked. Yeah. Scotty. Scotty would have
1: worked. Um, maybe they couldn't get Simon Pegg he might be a little
0: <laughs> oh yeah he's probably busy he has a lot of, lot of things going on but
1: yeah it's interesting because i've been wa- i don't know if you've been watching any tv new tv shows lately uh, not really no but uh, sleepy hollow <laughs> uh huh yeah the first couple episodes have john cho in oh, it oh really yeah and the that show is written by uh, Robert Kirkman and mm-hmm. or Robert Orsi and Alex uh, Kurtzman or whatever,
3: right,
2: who right. wrote
1: Into Darkness. So they also yeah. write this series, and it was just so cool, like seeing John Cho, you know, on TV. I'm like, hey,
0: there yeah. you are. Actually, there's a new series coming out that I'm kind of excited for. That has oh,
1: I know what you're talking about. Yeah, um, um Carl Urban. Yes, has Carl Urban, and it's Urban called and Almost Human.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Oh, I saw the commercial for that the other day. I was like, "What is this?"
0: Yeah, that looks really good. I'm kind of excited to watch that.
1: Yeah, me too. Yeah, I I'm, like, I like feels- androids. Yeah, it feels like sci fi is kind of making this big return on television. Right. Which I'm totally okay with. Oh, (laughs) totally. Now let's just get a Star Trek series. Anyways.
0: (laughs) So let's see. Oh, and another TV related. uh,
1: This is my favorite commercial out of all of these. So, in yet another series of commercials. Star Trek can be seen in the Samsung Smart TV and Galaxy Gear spots. What's really cool about the Galaxy Gear spot is they take all of the old wrist communicators that we've seen throughout TV and movies and featured them. So like Star Trek from the motion picture when they had those funky wrist communicator things,
2: mm-hmm. Knight
1: Rider, the Jetsons, they even had the Predator display and they also had the community care from power rangers which i was like whoa star trek and power rangers in one commercial you have me sold yeah (laughs) Yeah. mind blown mind blown but i thought it was really cool because they also showed like the dick tracy Mm -hmm. wristwatch which my dad has a replica of um somewhere
0: When I was a little kid, I had Dick Tracy walkie-talkies that went on the wrist.
1: I remember those.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: because the movie was big back in the 80s. Right,
0: yeah. And there
1: was like that whole Dick Tracy kind of revival thing going on.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, it's a fantastic commercial, and I think it really highlights, you know, all these wrist communicators throughout pop culture, and it's like, why haven't we had one of these yet? Right, And that was their whole spin, like, it's about time, like, it's finally here.
0: Right. Which, eh, I don't know what kind of phone you have, uh, but... A crap this, one. Uh, okay. Uh, is it a smartphone?
1: Uh, kind of.
0: Kind of a smartphone?
1: <laughs> yeah, I need to upgrade, but anyways. Uh,
0: would you consider getting a, a Galaxy Gear just from these commercials?
1: Mm, the nerdy... Part of me is like, yeah, they would totally be awesome. Mm-hmm. But the practical side of me is like, what, I can't just reach into my pocket and answer my phone? Mm-hmm. Like, I never wear watches. I don't think I've...
0: That was my next I, question.
1: I, I don't think I've worn a watch since, like, high school or middle school, to be honest. Like, I just don't wear... Mom, right? I don't wear a watch. It's not part of my wardrobe. Right. And as cool as this would be, I don't know if you know, I'd bother to wear a watch every day, even if I could answer my phone with it and all of that, or Mm -hmm. pretend like I'm talking to Kit from Knight Rider or something. Right.
0: And with the Google Glass, I mean, would you even need the Galaxy Gear if you're going to get a smart glass, or, sorry, if you're going to get the Google Glass that, you know, you just wear on your face? I mean, you have glasses.
1: Right. And for me, that's not practical. Unless somehow I, my glasses could be digitized, I could just use my existing frames. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the only reason I get that technology.
0: Right. Um, so but, you're not but, into uh, wearable technology?
1: Oh, I'm totally into wearable technology, okay. just not a watch, I guess. Okay. Or, I don't know. Uh, to me, I think it still looks a little bulky.
3: Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: and plus it's only limited to the Galaxy 2 or the Galaxy Gear or whatever. It's only it can only work with that product. Mm-hmm. What would sell me is if they made this Galaxy Gear watch mm-hmm. into the replicas that they showed on TV. Mm-hmm. So if they if they made a replica Star or Star Trek or Power Rangers communicator mm-hmm. that they show that did that then right. I would get it.
0: Uh, interesting. I I don't know, I mean, maybe if they had the risk communicator from Star Trek. But see, they only used it so little. They had it in the first movie and then in... In I the Star- first
1: movie, that was it. <laughs>
0: no, they used it in Star Trek uh, The Voyage Home. Kirk had it.
1: Oh, really? Um, I don't remember that.
0: Yeah, I, I believe so. I might be wrong. But I remember him talking to that doctor when they were getting Italian. Uh, from,
1: oh, yeah, yeah, And yeah.
0: I'm pretty sure he, like, you know, just, like, raised his wrist and was, like, not now or whatever.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. Wow. Okay. that They barely used that in the movies.
0: Yeah, they barely used it, but I, I remember at least those two times using it and then they went to that huge bulky one in Star Trek 2 which i hated.
1: See the the nerdy part of me is like if they would release that in a replica mm-hmm. even if the technology becomes obsolete i still have like a prop replica. That's the right. thing. Yeah. Like yeah. once this technology it's like oh yeah i've just got this thing that doesn't work anymore. Right. So i don't know. Yeah. It's a cool concept. I'm i think it's awesome that we're finally getting this technology.
0: No no it'd be cool. You know how they had the i the iPod Nanos that were, like, those little square ones before they went back to the rectangular ones. Yes. And they had watches for them or wristband things. If the Galaxy Gear, uh, if they could have, like, interchangeable wristbands that were the replicas, they could just plop in a, like, interchangeable piece that was the technology into the different
1: Yeah, see, that would be awesome. Yeah. And it's like they're showing these replicas on their commercial, Why not go the full way and, you know, for the nerds out there, really make this something like a really nice product? Right. I think that would sell a lot more than just the novelty of the concept. Right. It's still a cool commercial. And they've got two versions of it, one that just shows the watches with like kind of like a voiceover Mm -hmm. and one of like all these different clips of people using this throughout pop culture.
0: Right. I thought the Babylon 5 one was pretty cool.
1: Yes, when I saw Babylon 5, I was like... Because, I mean, who... Not a lot of people remember that show. Right, right. And its it's 20-year anniversary is this year, too. Oh, really? A lot of great things came out in 93. Oh. X-Files, Babylon 5, Hmm. Power Rangers, Jurassic Park. Like a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, Jurassic Park,
0: yeah. Oh, and... <clears throat> the Samsung Smart TV featured clips of the remastered TOS series.
1: To show how good it looks in HD.
0: <laughs> I guess. Uh, they were they were focusing on the fact that you could like tell the TV what to look for, and it would just pop up these different recommendations. And when the guys are talking, they make no reference to Star Trek at all, but yet Star oh. Trek is on the screen. I was like... Okay, <laughs> that's not Babylon Five. What are they talking about? But anywho, anywho, um, there is a we we've talked about the three uh, D figurines that you could get of yourself. Yes, uh, Star Trek is having a sweepstakes uh, where you can get one of these personalized. So the sweepstakes. Sweepstakes.
1: <laughs> the sweepstakes <laughs> uh,
0: began uh, on October 7th and it ends on October 25th. And five grand prize winners will be awarded at random uh, these figurines. Uh, and there's a it's a Facebook promotion, so you need a Facebook and you know you click. We have in the show notes. You click on the link and you'll be able to fill in the information.
1: Nice. I would love to get one of these. Me too. I
0: think I will if I don't win. I've entered the con- the <laughs> the contest.
1: <laughs> I've uh, also entered the contest. So. Yeah.
0: She uh did. so I'm, I'm hoping. So next in the Would You Buy It segment, <laughs> Well, before before we say what this is, Eric, I'm
1: part of the <laughs> Starfiddy Escape podcast. Uh
0: would you buy this? No. No. I would not. Either, either or, there are two things.
1: Either or, I would either not... Oh, okay. No.
0: Okay. I would buy one of them.
1: Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what we're talking about is uh, a new TNG style robes and sleepwear by Robe Factory.
1: We'll oh, soon. Oh, I would get the socks.
0: Oh, the socks. Well, they're already available, so I didn't include them. And I think we might have talked about them before.
1: Oh, Okay. But um, I, I'm not going to get the pajamas and or robe.
0: I don't like the robe. I think the robe looks stupid, frankly. But the sleepwear, I would totally get. I think that looks good. I'm,
1: cool. I'm a little bit in, indifferent on it. Yeah.
0: I, I don't know. I think, the, I think it's cool. I, I, just, I don't, wear, the I don't it.
1: wear pajamas mm. a lot. You know, just yeah. in the underwear. So oh. okay. Okay. <laughs> So if they made Star (laughs) Trek, uh huh. But I mean, I don't wear robes. That's that's not me. Uh, Yeah, I Uh, might get the pajamas. I I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I wear robes. I would rather get the TOS robes that they have out.
1: Those are really nice.
0: Those Uh, look good. Um, I just don't like the. uh, It just doesn't look good as a robe.
1: (laughs) It looks weird. It does.
0: Yeah. But there, there's been a big push for geeky robes. I don't know if you've been to any <laughs> comic book stores, but there are a ton of Doctor Who robes, at Star Wars robes. Stores? Yeah, uh Yeah, there's a store called Newbury Comics in at least the Northeast. Okay. And they have, besides comic, I mean, it's not really a comic book well, store.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have seen a lot of these robes at conventions, mm-hmm. which a lot of comic book conventions and subsequently comic book stores. So yeah, mm-hmm. I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean Newberry Comics has other things like records and uh, DVDs, Blu-rays, and other you know geeky stuff. They have a ton of Star Trek stuff, well they used to have a ton of Star Trek stuff, now it's a ton of Doctor Who stuff, which I don't know why, but that's okay.
1: I don't know, uh, maybe the 50th anniversary has something to do with it? Uh, maybe,
0: but they've had a lot of Doctor Who stuff for a while.
1: There's one toy comic entertainment shop in, not in my area, but kind of like maybe 25 miles away or so, mm-hmm. Um, and it's called like Alien Entertainment, and when they go to conventions, all they bring is the Doctor Who stuff, oh. and they have like a ton of Doctor Who stuff, it's kind of ridiculous.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's gaining popularity yeah. with, the, with the new incarnations of, of Dark Two, so... Oh, well. I mean, sci-fi. Sci-fi is cool. So, yes. Actually, uh, to bring kind of a sidetrack, but it's from the... I went to this uh, Newberry Comics today, and they have a... a mu- uh, it's not a mug. It's a glass that has on one side the good Spock, and it says good Spock. You <laughs> flip it over, and it says evil Spock, and it has the Mirror Universe Spock on the opposite side. Ah. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I didn't buy it, but uh, I thought it was cool.
1: And then it's kind of like with the whole glass mirror thing. Yeah, yeah.
0: Right, and I think there are Mirror Universe prints that are available now that have recently came out.
1: It's a good time to be a Star Trek fan, I think, Mm because there's a lot of useless (laughs) that you can buy. (laughs) Useless to some. Useless to some. Yes, to some.
0: Uh, I went there wanting to buy some Star Trek stuff, but...
1: Comics or like merchandise?
0: Uh, merchandise. They have that big Klingon Bird of Prey. They have...
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: The Klingon uh, Disruptor.
1: You were looking for a
0: birthday gift for yourself, weren't you? I already bought myself uh, a new iPhone, so that was my birthday gift to myself.
1: Welcome to the future.
0: <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> So pretty. Here it is, right here.
1: Whoa! Ooh.
0: I have a Very huge, nice. rugged. Look at, wow! Look at all those. Case.
1: Those wow. are nice. Look at all those notifications. Wow. Yeah, I'm popular. A popular huh? guy.
0: Yeah, not really. It's like three notifications. Oh. <laughs> um, but this case is supposed. Well, to I don't be... have.
1: I don't have any. So good job. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, You're more popular than me. <laughs>
0: This uh, this case is supposed to withstand a drop from six feet.
1: I wouldn't test um, it, though.
0: I wouldn't test it. It has a built-in screen protector, and it's all the ports are covered, like the camera port here is covered.
1: That would get annoying to me. It's it's
0: not too bad. I don't take pictures all the time. Oh, okay. So it's not that bad, but all the ports are covered, so it's supposed to be resistant to, like, rain
1: and uh, wind, sand... No, uh, yeah, that's good for when you're in the desert or on a <laughs> distant planet.
0: Well, I, I I take public transportation, so it rains.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, so
0: it, it will come in handy. Helpful.
1: Yeah. So let me ask: Do you have mm-hmm. any Star Trek ringtones going on?
0: Not yet. I have all the default uh, ringtones right now. Oh, okay. I don't really use iTunes all too much, which you know you kind of have to with the iPhone. Uh, so, yeah,, nah. I mean, but they do have uh in the iTunes store, they do sell Star Trek ringtones,
1: or you could just get like another m p three from wherever
0: I suppose I could too i i do I could do that.
1: The possibilities are endless
0: that's very true,
1: so you're a no yes maybe to this buy it now.
0: I would get the sleepwear, not the robe.
1: I would get neither.
0: <laughs> and I don't know how much it cost. Oh, well they, that's,
1: that's kind of something we need to know.
0: Yeah, they, they didn't really have a cost. It just says they will be available soon. The socks have a price because they're already out and available at thinkgeek.com.
1: I can see these. I mean, I've seen the robes go for like 45 50 bucks. $50. So right. yeah. probably around there.
0: Right, and the the sleepwear will probably be about the same. I mean, there are TOS foot uh, onesies. This is a two-piece, which makes it more attractive to me than the TOS onesies yeah. that they have. So uh, maybe 40 bucks for that, I'd say. Okay. Yeah. So moving on to the topic of the show. So yes. in our last episode, we talked about... Uh, It was basically my favorite uh, moments from Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, So now we're going to be talking about Eric's favorite moments.
1: Yeah, favorite episodes, favorite moments. I think the ones that you covered in the last episode were Mm -hmm. great. I think those are essential Next Generation episodes. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: But I'm kind of going a little bit beyond the more obvious choices. Right. But I think these are all still great episodes that people should check out. And that's why we're talking about, it, damn it. Right. So, <laughs> so I'm I pretty much did the same format that you guys did for the last episode, just you know, a couple episodes from each season and, mm-hmm. and just talk about it a little bit. Cool. So the first one I picked was Where no one has gone before from season one. Mm -hmm. And that's when an experimental engine modification throws the Enterprise to the edge of the unknown universe. (laughs) The crew must rely on a mysterious alien to guide the ship home. This is uh, the first appearance of the Traveler.
0: Right. uh, And the Traveler is an interesting character. This was a pretty good episode. One of the better of the first season.
1: Yeah, definitely one of the highlights of that kind of mediocre season. Right, and uh, I really like the traveler's character. Uh-huh. There was something mysterious about him, and it was kind of under the guise that he was just this uh, doctor's or this you know like assistant. War- assistant, but it was like. He was the one, the Traveler was the one that actually knew all of this stuff, not that guy who was the supposed expert. Right. So he was yeah. kind of like piggybacking on the Traveler's knowledge. Right. Um, so, yeah, I I really liked this episode. And it was interesting because the Enterprise went to a completely different galaxy.
0: Yeah, and that was weird. Definitely nothing like we've seen in the Milky Way galaxy so far.
1: Right. And the effects in that episode were just incredible.
0: Yeah, for the times, the first season of, of The Next Generation, they were incredible. And I, I liked the the phasing effect of the Traveler, how he was phasing in and out. Mm-hmm. I thought that was cool.
1: And I liked how, in this episode, they were also seeing like different visions from their past.
0: Oh, that's right.
1: Picard right. saw his mother... Uh, Worf saw his childhood pet Targ, Mm -hmm. and there was just all these like weird visual things. Like it—it was like the universe was, or this region of the universe was messing with their minds, and that was kind of interesting.
0: Right. Anything that they thought became reality. Yeah. There were some crew members that saw fire in the hallway, and they were you know petrified, and then Captain Picard yells at them. Like ensign or lieutenant or whatever, and then he kind of like snaps out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, it was an interesting concept uh, for space for a region yeah. that no one knows about.
1: And I think that just embodies what Star Trek is about. They were totally mm-hmm. going into the unknown, and it was something that they never encountered before with a right. new alien. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I mean, that's what Star Trek's all about. And I really like. Um, This kind of started that whole thing with Wesley Mm -hmm. and the traveler seeing something in Wesley that no one else did. Right. And I thought that was pretty unique.
0: Right. And in that episode, we see Wesley trying to tell everyone, you know, what's going on. Oh, look over there, the traveler, he's like phasing in and out, and they're like, whatever, Wesley go back to bed or whatever you know <laughs> <laughs> go back to bed
1: <laughs> well no i i mean it's just it's kind of like wesley stepping up and mm-hmm. um, you know recognizing and seeing something that no one else did right. and picard made him an acting ensign at the end of the episode okay so that, this, that this starts episode. yeah this starts uh, wesley's journey as a starfleet officer as well Right, so th- this episode really plants a lot of seeds for episodes in the future
3: mm-hmm. right. and
1: I think uh some of the episodes that I pick uh have done that. They have far reaching consequences for later episodes, okay, cool so next on from the first season is data lore. So the enterprise explores data's home planet and they find his brother and the dark secret that he carries. (laughs) Um, What I like about Data lore is, you know, this is midway through the first season. And so by this point, I think everyone was really interested in Data's character. Mm
3: -hmm. uh,
1: Just because, you know, he's something that we haven't had on Star Trek before, which is, you know, fully sentient android. So what I like about Data lore is just, you know, we're finding out about Data, and now we're finding out that there's another one of him, mm. which was pretty interesting. So right. I like that it it starts to explore Data's origins. Right. And I really like uh, Riker's line. He's like, well, how many more Datas are there? And, I mean, we don't find out until Nemesis, but there's three, three Datas. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, there might be more. There Who could knows? be. We don't know. Yeah. So I, I thought this was an interesting episode as well. Uh, it was kind of cool. And another Wesley kind of centered episode as well, because Wesley kind of realizes that Lore takes the place of data and tries to pretend to right.
1: be data. Right. And he doesn't do that good of a job of it. Lore had this like facial tick. Right. And he actually corrected that, but gave that to Data. D- right. And yeah. they switched clothes. And I thought it was a really cool episode. Mm-hmm. And it also introduces the crystalline entity, which shows up later in the series. Mm-hmm. And those effects were awesome.
0: Yeah, no, they were. This episode is one of my favorite Data episodes, I think. There are other episodes with data, like Fistful of Datas, which are terrible. Oh, which yeah. was a terrible episode, uh, but this <laughs> is a pretty good episode.
1: So, is this like up there in terms of data episodes, like Measure of a Man? This is and, like uh, one of your top. I know, I know. I will come on. Measure of a Man is like one of the top.
0: He, it's the Star top. Trek episodes. Uh, yeah, but this is up there with data-centric episodes.
1: Yeah, I would have to agree. So yeah, um, and this is also the episode where we get the infamous "Shut up, Wesley."
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: because both uh Picard and Beverly uh, Crusher say it to him at different times. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of like a Wesley story too, but it's mainly about Data. Right. And then Lore calls uh Wesley the troublesome little man child. <laughs> So there, lore there is awesome. A, he is. He's completely evil, and I like lore. that.
0: Yeah, it's it's very interesting to see the contrast between data and lore.
1: And props to Brent Spiner oh, yeah. for doing an outstanding performance and mm-hmm. really making these characters different. It just shows what a you know versatile actor that he is.
0: Right. And I think this might be the episode where they kind of like push. The contractions being yes in, uh, to show the difference between the characters, even th- though you know there are instances where Data does in fact use contractions. Mm-hmm. This is the episode where they they're basically like Data doesn't use contractions.
1: Th- it's a plot point of the episode. Yeah. It really is like that's the tell that <laughs> Lore has somehow overcome this obstacle to use contractions. I don't know why. <laughs> But I think that's interesting about data because you know he's it shows what a precise Android he is mm-hmm. you know cannot will not you know no contractions
0: right, because lore is basically trying to convince everyone that he is the superior Android and was made after data, which in fact it was the opposite way around. yes, lore was dismantled because he was evil. <laughs>
1: Uh, well, I mean, yeah, in, inherently, whatever his programming or, you know, just, you know, data is sentient. So mm-hmm. it just goes to show that, you know, lore's sentient too. And with sentient beings, there's always going to be a good and evil. Mm-hmm. And I like how they introduce that, even with Data, who's an android. Right. All right, moving on to season two. <laughs> Even though we just got done talking about Data, <laughs> one of my favorite episodes from this season is Elementary uh, Elementary, Dear Data, in which the Enterprise is threatened when the character in Data and LaForge's holodeck simulation becomes sentient, which is, of course, is uh, Professor Moriarty. Right. I I really like... Let me tell you why I like this right. episode. I like this episode because... It's one of the first times we get a holodeck episode mm-hmm. in Star Trek, like a fully, like, we're doing this all on the holodeck. And there have been plenty more after this, mm-hmm. <laughs> like Voyager, D Space Nine, and even in Next Generation. Plus, I'm a huge Sherlock Holmes fan. Okay. So I really like that, you know, Data was Holmes and LaForge was Watson. I really like you know, how they played that up.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was cool because I mean, Dr. Pulaski was involved in it and, you right. know, and I just really liked Moriarty's character. He was, I think the best version of Moriarty in all of the homes, other incarnations. media incarnations. Yeah. I think he's one of the best uh, Moriarty's.
0: I would have to agree uh, with you there. I liked I, the reason why I kind of ex. Explored the Holmes universe was because of Data's portrayal.
1: I think for me it was the same way. I mean, I was a young kid watching these. I was like, "Well, you know, what's Holmes? You know, what's yeah. what's Sherlock? What's going on?" But yeah, I I just really liked that, and um, I like that Moriarty was obsessed with once he finds out, you know, it's a ship and he's just a character on this holodeck. Like, I like that he's like, "Oh, I want to." you know, I want to get out of here. I want to be more than, you know, what I am. Right. Which is is what Star Trek is about, too.
0: Right. I thought it was really cool how they kind of created this character because of what Geordi says in the episode. How he goes, create an adversary that can beat Data. Not an adversary that can beat Sherlock Holmes.
1: Right, that can beat Data.
0: Right. Uh, Because... Data already knew all of the Sherlock Holmes stories, so he was just solving them really quickly. So, like, yep. you know, Doctor Pulaski and Jordy were like, "Well, why don't we create a new uh, Sherlock Holmes type story?" And Where it's kind
1: of open-ended and right. He doesn't know the outcome of it. Yeah, exactly.
0: And then have just because of that one line that Jordy says, the ship basically becomes endangered.
1: Yeah and uh the ship basically creates this sentient personality which kind of leads to the discussion on whether the ship itself is sentient enough or not, or, not mm-hmm. or has the power to become sentient mm-hmm. because if you think of the massive computing power that these starships have i mean they have computer cores that are like four or five decks high right um it's crazy so I think it's interesting that the computer was able to take that sentiment and that statement and take it to the extreme, and it created this eventually self-aware program. Right. But I, I kind of like how Picard tricks him at the end of the episode, and like, oh yeah, the Federation will find a way on, you know, releasing you out of the holodeck. You know, we'll we'll get right on that. Type right. Of it. <laughs> but it kind of opens up the possibility. Of and Voyager expanded on this about holographic rights with the Doctor, mm-hmm. and that kind of like data, you know, it's a sentient being, mm-hmm. you know, who's to say that you know they don't have rights too? And that's right. what the Doctor eventually fought for in Voyager was holographic rights. Right. So, it'd be interesting what would ha- what would happen if Moriarty got the mobile emitter? Like, oh, wow. what kind of what kind of chaos could he? You know, create.
0: That would be dangerous.
1: I think that might be a cool crossover concept.
0: That would be. Oh, because I forget what episode it's in. I, do you have the episode listed here?
1: Uh, the no, sequel right? to this episode? Yeah. Actually, I actually thought I did. Yes, uh, season six, shipping in a Bottle.
0: Okay, so we'll wait for that then uh, yeah. to talk more about that.
1: <laughs> so next... Is wait. I scrolled down. Too far. <laughs> oh my! The next episode of season two that I really like personally is the dolphin, mm-hmm. which uh, Wesley falls in love with a new leader of a war-torn planet, mm-hmm. and she is like this shape-shifter. Right. I forget what they what they actually call her. Oh, um, an alasomorph. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, she's a shapeshifter. And why I really like this episode, you know, when I was younger, you know, it's kind of like I could relate to the whole first love thing that I Leslie kind of had in this episode.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And plus she was really pretty. And <laughs> Indeed. So I I thought it was a very unique story, especially as a young kid. Right. You know, I could relate to it. I yeah. don't think... You know, many adults watching it probably thought it was a good episode, but I did, and that was just from my perspective. I right. think it's one of the better episodes of season two. It's it's yeah. one that has really that even all after all these years, I still remember that episode. Yeah. So it's one yeah. that stuck with me for a while.
0: Yeah. No, it's a it's a good episode uh, for the most part. It was cool that Wesley takes her. He, I believe he takes her onto the holodeck and shows her. Uh, different uh, scenes. Yes. Uh, I thought that was cool.
1: Since she hasn't experienced a lot of the galaxy, and she won't once she you know, marries uh, this person, or, I mean, she has to rule this planet. Like, right. She's not going to ever leave ever again.
0: Mm-hmm. And the fact that they were uh, shapeshifters was kind of hidden until... I don't know, maybe halfway through the episode or so? Yeah. Earlier. uh, Which I thought that was cool. I think that's the first time we see a shapeshifter, really, in Star Trek.
1: Yes, it is. Or I feel that there may have been one in the original series, but maybe not to this extent.
0: Right. Uh, I mean, this was full-on shapeshifting.
1: Yeah. Uh, And, yeah, almost like a precursor to Odo.
0: Right, right. And they did have in Star Trek 6, the Undiscovered Country, they had a shapeshifter, but that was after this episode
1: was recorded. Yeah, chronologically it was before, but yeah. yeah. Oh, well. I mean, how many
0: shapeshifters are there in the galaxy? It seemed like Odo was a rarity, <laughs> but apparently No, he was not. a
1: rarity, his species was a rarity okay. in this quadrant, because he was the only one in this quadrant. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, Look, I mean, with in a wide galaxy, I'm sure we could have a handful of shapeshifting species.
0: I, I guess, but I feel like they made him seem very unique. Like there weren't any. Like he, if he went and talked to another shapeshifter about stuff, that would be kind of cool. Like, how do you guys deal with shapeshifting? It's kind of like how Data is supposed to be the only sh- sentient android. Yet in the original series, there were a crap load of androids. But anyway. Yeah. I, don't know.
1: I mean, there's there's something that makes them all unique. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that her appearance that Wesley fell in love with mm-hmm. was just another shape-shifting form. Like they took right. on those appearances to match humans, basically. Right. So I think it goes to show that, you know, in this wide galaxy that Even falling in love with, you know, a different species has its own set of challenges. Um, You don't know what you're getting into. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But for me, I I like this episode. Right. And the effects were excellent, too. Yeah. All right, moving on. Season three. Who watches The Watchers? Mm-hmm. The Enterprise mustn't do the damage when a primitive civilization discovers a Federation observation team and concludes that Starfleet personnel are gods. So this dealt with the Mintakans, which were the proto-Vulcan species.
0: Mm-hmm. This is a good episode.
1: And I really like this episode because the effects of this episode carry on all the way into the movies. Picard, from this episode forward, you see the Mentakin tapestry that he gets in his office mm-hmm. and in, like, the movies. It's on the back of his chair. It's this artifact that he prizes because of what happens in this episode. All right, And this episode goes to show why the Prime Directive is such a vital part of the Federation exploration initiative. Right. Because, yeah, we're explorers and we want to study other cultures, but there has to be rules in place if we want to study a more primitive culture. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like that. I feel like this episode, in a way, sets up... Uh, what happens in Star Trek insurrection, because in insurrection we see that Federation observation teams now have these like cloaked facilities, mm-hmm. they have cloaked outfits so that they can carry their investigations without being seen, probably because of the result of this episode
3: mm-hmm.
1: and I like this episode because it really focuses on Picard trying to damage control a situation right. and a very significant situation at that.
0: They, they think the Picard is a God.
1: <laughs> yeah. In the episode. And yeah. So yeah, I mean they have to go in and, you know, repair this observation post as malfunctioned, but at the same time they have to do damage control because now, <laughs> you know, these people are aware that, you know, they, what they think are gods, it's, you know, it's gone out of hand. Right. And it's interesting because we see uh, Riker and Troy go undercover yep. in full, like, makeup and everything. So yeah. there's quite a few great elements about this episode. And I think overall, the emotional impact was there, too, because Picard even, you know, they're trying to, like, kneel to him. And he's like, you know, you must not kneel to me. You know, right. don't. Don't do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I just thought it was kind of powerful because, you know, there's so many ways that an advanced civilization can kind of pollute a lesser civilization right. if they don't do things right.
0: Right. I thought it was interesting that Picard allowed himself to be shot by an arrow in the episode mm-hmm. uh, to prove that he was mortal like like they were. He was just a regular person, not a god.
1: Yeah, he can bleed. Yeah. And that says a lot about Picard's character, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's willing to get shot by an arrow for the prime directive. So. Right. right. I mean, yeah, they have all this great technology. They can fix that in, like, two minutes, you know, with a dermal regenerator and all that. But even then, I mean, that still doesn't take away the pain. So I, I really like this.
0: Yeah, it was a good episode.
1: Moving on. The next episode is The Offspring which is another data-centric episode mm-hmm. that deals with the creation of his daughter, Lau. And it sets up, it kind of expands what we've seen of, with data, his evolution, mm-hmm. and also there's kind of shades of measure of a man in here. Right. Because, again, Starfleet wants to come in and you know, take this Android away. Right. So we get to see the effects of that episode as well. Like Starfleet's still up to their old tricks, you know, and it's up to them to say, no, you know, this isn't right. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that data is kind of expanding upon Dr. Soong's work and actually exceeding it because Lao gets real emotions
0: right. without
1: a re- emotion chip. Without any of that, she becomes more sentient, if that's even possible, than Data. Right. And the fact that, you know, Data gives Lao the choice to choose his or her gender, you know, the appearance, what alien species she gets to be, that kind of a thing. He gave her the choice from the beginning that I don't think Soong initially gave Data and Lore, maybe.
0: Right, because they all looked like him.
1: Yeah, it was all in his image. It was completely right. oh, wow, self-centered. Yeah. yeah, And Data doesn't have that self-centeredness, so that's why he gave Lao control over everything about her mm-hmm. when, when she came down to it. So that's why I really like this episode. Mm-hmm. It was really emotional, and yes. it was really a deep and thought-provoking episode that you know, expands upon all the things that we've learned about Data so far. Mm-hmm. And I think this episode deeply affected him as well.
0: Yeah, you could see that in the Admiral's kind of response because he, when Lal was malfunctioning and before she died, basically, right, uh, him and Data went in to try to repair her. And the Admiral was like, I've never seen hands move that fast. And he was he was affected, and you wouldn't think that at the beginning of the episode.
1: Right, and I think that was the turning point. And I truly consider this a sequel of sorts to A Measure of a Man,
3: mm-hmm.
2: because
1: now even Starfleet, this Starfleet Admiral's, You know, finally realizing the potential that Data has. Right. Um, He basically created his own offspring. And that further proves that Data is sentient because a sentient being's will eventually is to procreate and continue that legacy. Mm -hmm. So it's just another drop-in-the-hat proof that Data is sentient. And I feel that this is the turning point for Starfleet too to recognize those types of things. Right. So very excellent episode early on in the series. Right. Moving on to season four, <laughs> I really like Data. This, uh, apparently. Uh, <laughs> I can't, I, I think every everyone so far has had a Data episode. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've picked a Data episode for like every season, I think.
0: That's that's cool. Um, Data's my fairy character, to be honest. Yeah. So I'm cool with this.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're all about this. Um, yeah. <laughs> So, season four, I picked Data's Day. And Data records a day in his life for Commander Bruce Maddox. uh, Call back to Measure of a Man. Mm Mm-hmm. Including observations on Chief O'Brien's wedding and the mystery of a Vulcan ambassador who apparently dies in a transporter accident. But not... Dun-dun-dun. Yeah. I like this episode because it is a day in a life episode. Mm-hmm. We don't get to see a lot of those in Star Trek. Right. And really, it's like he's basically making this journal entry uh, to Commander Maddox. And I like that we get to see Data, you know, on basically a typical day on the Enterprise, or well, not so typical day. There's, <laughs> right. you know, not too many weddings, but. It was a great episode. And I like how this expanded some of the secondary characters like Miles O'Brien and Keiko and mm-hmm. continuing their relationship. I also like this episode because we get to see the Romulans come into play more with the revelation that uh Tapel, Ambassador Tapel is a Romulan spy. Right. And I like that it deals with the Romulans too. Like it's building upon some of those earlier Next Generation episodes are really introducing the Romulans as a bigger threat in this time period.
0: Right, which is good uh, because we, I mean, to be frank, the, the adversaries that the Next Generation crew came up against weren't really that, besides the Borg, weren't really, you know, that impressive. right.
1: Uh, like the Ferengi. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> I know you guys Mon- talked about that last <laughs> Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Ferengi and the Klingons were kind of losing their edge a bit. Um, right. And that was because of the peace treaty. And I mean, eventually that all goes to crap later on. Right. But it was like, I'm glad that they were expanding more on the Romulans because I feel with the Wharf, you know, we've seen a lot of Klingons on Next Generation and I like that they were building this original threat from the original series. Mm-hmm. I mean, hell, the Romulans are what got, are what helped create Starfleet essentially, and right. the Federation with the Romulan War. Moving on, to Data. I I just really like this episode. I I thought it was great. Data mentioned Sherlock Holmes. He you know mentioned some past events. It's basically Data you know just living on the ship, <laughs>
0: right. I think it's really cool that he still kept in contact with uh, Maddox.
1: I thought that was a nice touch too, especially after, you know, what happened in that episode and, Mm -hmm. you know, Maddox was angry because he lost, you know, the chance to study data. But even in the end of that episode, Maddox had this appreciation for Data. And I'm glad, even if it was a sideline like, oh, hey, Dr. Maddox, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they could have said anyone, but the fact that they mentioned him was a nice throwback. Right. Kind of a side note, this was the first appearance of several things in the Next Generation universe. This was actually the first appearance of Keiko O'Brien.
0: Oh, was it?
1: Yes. Okay. This was the first appearance of Data's cat spot.
0: Oh, goodness.
1: This was the first appearance of several locations on the Enterprise, including the Arboretum, the barber shop, the Nursery, <laughs> and the Replicating Center.
0: So this is the first time we saw Mott, right, then?
1: No, we saw Vassal, oh. which is a, a barber on the Enterprise. Okay. He was a um, Vulcan. Oh, oh, no, okay. no, no, he was a bullion. It wasn't Mott, but he was named Vassal.
0: Oh, okay, all right.
1: But, yeah, but a bullion barber.
0: Yeah, I guess they, it's, kind of, that's kind of weird that they seem to gravitate towards that profession.
1: Yeah, that's kind of weird. But, yeah, this is um also the first time we get an exact date, like a, uh, actual like month and a day, date. A calendar date. Okay. Because data mentions that this episode takes place during the celebration of the Hindu Festival of Lights.
3: Okay. Which would
1: suggest that it occurs on October 24th. And the festival would fall on that date in the year 2367. Okay. So it's not an exact date. That's kind of like the first time we get like an actual confirmation of a date. On on Star Trek. That isn't a star date. So since data says that the Enterprise was commissioned 1,550 days prior to this episode, that would suggest that the Enterprise was commissioned on July 27th, 6th, 2363. So that's we even get a, um, a confirmation on the Enterprise's commission date. Hmm. So there's quite a few firsts in that episode, and that's kind of the... Oh, another thing. This episode marks the first uh, night watch that was seen on screen. Okay. Which explains the difference in the bridge lighting and stuff. Right. And that's what I like about day-in-the-life episodes because it explores different locations and parts of life that you wouldn't see in a typical Star Trek episode. Right. So that's one of the reasons I really like this episode. My next pick for season four is Cupid. Hmm. Q picks up on romantic tensions between Captain Picard and an old flame which is Vash transporting them and the senior officers into a representation of Robin Hood
0: I thought this was a very funny episode
1: yes I did too and sometimes Next Generation can take itself a little bit too seriously Sometimes, especially with Picard and he's a pretty serious character but when Next Generation does funny they do a really good job of it (laughs) right, I just like all of the crew's reactions to dealing with this time period that they're throwing <laughs> in. i mean you know, right. The not, not only,
0: right not only the time period but their their characters yeah who
1: they they're who they're playing and like the outfits they're wearing they're all kind of like come on really
2: <laughs> right
1: and uh i I think this is one of the funnier Q episodes. I really like that Q is... This is basically Q just messing with Picard. That's all this is. Right. And I did like that we unexpectedly got Vosh back, mm-hmm. who was first seen in Captain's Holiday. So I like that we get to see this character again. And it's interesting because this episode, in the end, she leaves with Q and we don't see her again until it's a completely different series, D-Space 9. Uh, so she comes back with Q in D-Space 9 mm-hmm. when the only time he visits or he is seen in that series. So what did you think of Cupid?
0: I thought it was, like I said, it was a funny episode. And I don't know, when I was younger, I'm not sure that I realized... The time placement of where it was, or if it was a holodeck, or what was going on when I was younger. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, obviously, I know it's you know just Q. You know, he can create whatever he wants. Exactly. And yeah, you know, it was funny. Like we have Troy launching an arrow into Data, and then he goes, <laughs> "You you didn't really hurt me, and uh, your aim's approving."
1: Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's that it's that like unintentional humor that Data has sometimes. Like he doesn't mean to be funny; he's just like, "Well, your aim's improving." Like he's very optimistic, but that had me on the floor laughing. I mean, that's yeah. that is one of my favorite moments. And uh, Worf totally smashing yeah the loot Jordy's, uh, loot and yeah. like, I'm not a merry man yeah oh
0: man that is probably one of the most famous Wharf quotes yes star trek i am not a merry man i protest
1: <laughs> yeah i i think you could tell that they were having fun with it too like they just had a fun time making this episode I and would, that really came across.
0: I would love to see the outtakes from this episode.
1: Oh my god. <laughs> I I would like to see it too if hello if Fathom Events did a C- season 4 special but they didn't mm. cuz otherwise we probably would have seen some awesome bloopers. Maybe I got to get the Blu-ray. Maybe to see that. So Maybe. I'll get it eventually. But yeah, great episode. Moving on to season 5. What? Yep.
0: No, I. this is one of my least favorite episodes.
1: Are you effing kidding me? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not. Okay. Well, I like it, <laughs> you crazy bastard. Um, it is cause and effect. Mm-hmm. The destruction of the Enterprise near distortion in the space-time continuum causes a temporal causality loop to form. Trapping the ship and crew in time and forcing them to relive the events that lead to their deaths. I liked it because (laughs) (laughs) I know you hate it, but I liked it because we get to see the effects of kind of an interesting, you know, I mean, it's a time distortion. Mm -hmm. We get to see how that plays out. And, yeah, some of the events repeat, but it's how they figure out Mm -hmm. what's happening to them that is the most interesting to me. They were able to figure it out and use their intellect to basically find out what was happening and to eventually get out of this loop, which did not happen with Captain... Yes, the Bozeman and Captain Bateson because they were trapped since Kirk movie time. Right. So they weren't so fortunate in, so they, and probably they needed, not...
0: They needed a data.
1: They needed a data. That was it. Yep. Oh, again, another data type of episode. I yep. can't get away from data. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's why I like this episode. I thought it was interesting because it was like, well, God, how are they going to get out of this situation? What's going to happen? Right. And then the unexpected you know, reveal that now we have this ship that's out of time and they can never go back. And probably the reason why I like this episode so much was because it leads into... Well, there's a sequel novel that okay. deals with Captain Bateson and his crew adjusting to this time period. Okay, And it's called uh, Ship of the Line. It's an excellent novel that if you want a good maybe redemption in your eyes to this episode, Mm -hmm. I would read that novel because it really deals with the effects of this episode because at the end you're like, whoa, you're like left with these questions like, well crap, they're from like a hundred years ago or they're from like 75 years ago. Mm -hmm. What's going to happen to them? Right. And I think that leading to more questions, and it's one of those rare Next Generation episodes that really didn't get a follow-up when I think it should have.
0: Right, it would have been very cool to see the Bozeman again in the Next Generation.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's freaking um, what's his face Kelsey um, Grammer. Kelsey Grammer. I mean, it's yeah. Frazier. Come on, right? <laughs> and yet he's such a phenomenal actor. I would have loved to seen a whole episode with him in it. Mm.
0: Oh, man, imagine a series based on the Bozeman.
1: There you go. And that's why I like that novel so much, mm-hmm. was because it dealt with the Bozeman and Picard and all of that and the effects of that. Mm-hmm. And it actually takes place during the Next Generation movie era. So okay. the Enter- Captain Picard is in control of the Enterprise-E, and Bateson and his crew get a new ship, and it's... Okay it's interesting to see how they adjusted between this episode and what happens in that novel. So maybe that's why I liked this episode because it led to such a great other story mm-hmm. that I felt could have been an episode of the next generation. I see. Now I want to hear why you don't <laughs> particularly like this episode.
0: Now, when I first saw this, I was younger. Yeah. Okay. Let me put that up there. I was young. Okay. <laughs> And I just got incredibly bored with the repetition of the episode.
1: I can see that.
0: And that's the only reason why I don't like this episode is the repetition of it. Otherwise, I think now I think it's a great story. Yes. When I originally saw it, I was bored out of my mind watching it over and over and over. (laughs) But I would still watch this episode because I had it on VHS, and I would still like you know sit down and plug it in and watch like I don't know maybe five or six episodes at a time, and mm-hmm. this being on you know, one of my VHS cassette tapes. That being said, I thought it was really cool that Data's suggestion in the episode was wrong, but Rikers was correct. Yes. And and the Data had this temporal thingy on his arm <laughs> right. and entered entered three into it, to denote uh, Riker's uh, command pips.
1: Yeah, and it was that. Yeah, it was that that little trick. It was just, I just like it was like it's basically like a time travel mystery, mm-hmm. but like a time anomaly mystery, and right. it's kind of like a smart person's episode because you have mm-hmm. to realize the subtle changes that are happening right. and like the build up of how they're slowly coming to realize what's happening to them. right? And its I think it's that journey that's like, now you know why the Enterprise is the flagship, why they have the best crew, mm-hmm. because they can get out of stuff like this, whereas another ship is trapped in there for 100 years right. because they weren't able to figure it out. Right. And they were stuck reliving, God, countless years, the same um, event. Yeah. It's just... Yeah. That's weird. There's kind of shades of this in the Enterprise, the Star Trek Enterprise episode Future Tense, mm-hmm. when they have that time ship from the future and the Tholians and there's that time radiation that's leaking out. Okay. And and the crew experiences some time anomalies. Mm-hmm. Well, there's one scene that I think pays homage to this episode where Reed and Tucker enter, they keep entering the shuttle bay trying <laughs> to repair the ship and yep. they keep reliving those same moments. It's like five minutes. Mm-hmm. But then they. They slowly they're Then they like repeat each other's lines, and they're like, "Wait a minute, we're like, what's going on? We're reliving the same moment." Mm-hmm. So I I, I kind of like to think that that's kind of like a little homage to this episode, like okay, yeah, little time travel loop shenanigans. Yeah, my next favorite episode is I Borg. Mm -hmm. The discovery of an injured adolescent Borg brings to the service hard feelings for both Captain Picard and Guinan for what the Borg Collective had done to them. Matters are complicated when plans to use the young Borg to destroy his people are halted when it's discovered that the Borg has become an individual. That Borg in question being Hugh.
0: Right. I really like this episode.
1: Yeah, it's one of my top episodes, um, one of my top Borg episodes, too. Mm-hmm. Because that it deals with the individuality of the Borg and you know what's it mean for a Borg to be separated from the collective?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Plus, I like that this brings up the results of the Borg traumatizing all these people in their wake. Picard because he got assimilated. Guinan because the Borg destroyed her people. Mm -hmm. And now they have to come face to face with this living embodiment of everything that they hate about the Borg. But now he's an individual. So it's like they were trying to put all of their hate onto this one drone Mm -hmm. when that wasn't warranted because now he's an individual. And... For them, for Picard to come to the realization of like, well, what am I doing? He's an individual. He has the rights to be more than what his people have made him. Hugh mm-hmm. right. was is a victim just I as like, much as they are. And I really like that journey for Picard.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I liked, I really like Geordie in this episode too.
0: Yeah, it's a good Geordie episode.
1: Yeah, it's a really good Geordie episode. And I really like you. And again, this is one of those instances where this is setting up for a future episode, mm-hmm. even though they don't intend it. I I really like that the next generation has these like you know bookends for certain storylines. Mm-hmm. So this is the start of one of those.
0: Yeah. So this is a good episode. I liked the next generation. Bo- well. Not all the next generation Borg episodes, but most of the next generation Borg episodes I like, and this one's really cool. And it's the first time that you see an individual Borg. Yes. Uh, you can't really count Picard because he was basically a Borg for two episodes, and and that's it. And then he right away he's you know back to being Picard. Right. But this he's separated, yet he's still. Full-on Borg uh, implants, and he's childlike in the episode, and he doesn't understand things. He has no memory of, unlike Picard or Son of Nine that we see, mm-hmm. he has no, basically no recollection of what it was beyond the Borg, which right. I, don't th- I don't think in Voyager you see that with past drones. All the other drones basically remember their past memories, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yes. Some of them do recall their past lives. It just takes time.
0: Okay. And And maybe that was what happened here.
1: Right. I don't think Hugh was away from the collective long enough to start really remembering his past life. Mm -hmm. Or maybe he just got assimilated really young. Yeah. Like Seven of Nine. Because she was assimilated as a child and didn't remember a lot of her past life.
0: Mhm. And we've seen Borg assimilate babies, so maybe he yep. was a baby that was assimilated.
1: Yeah. And then being a drone all of his life, he would know nothing about his past life and mm-hmm. which makes his journey to become an individual i think that's much more satisfying mm-hmm. because it's like he's reclaiming something that he didn't even know was taken from him right which was his individuality what's great about this episode is it starts to touch on the concept of individuality in borg which voyager took to the extreme with 7 of 9 right and um. Also, this episode started the whole Borg designating themselves by numbers because mm-hmm. Hugh is third of five, right? You know, seven is seven of nine, right? That kind of thing. Right. And then this is the first time we don't get to see a lot of it, but this is the first time like a Borg scout ship, yep. has made its appearance. Right, so
0: and it's basically a a cube that can fit five people, I believe
1: yeah it's a very small cube, right, <laughs> which is basically it, like a Borg shuttle almost
0: yeah, and I think that's a cool concept,
1: yeah,' because you could make it like a I don't know like a Borg assimilation strike team, or you know they're a separate node that you know carries on smaller functions, I don't know
0: right it oh it would have been cool, obviously, they wouldn't have been able to do this because of the way they had the cube set up. Mm-hmm. but just have a bunch of these little cubes that connect to each other, and then they can separate.
1: That would be interesting. I, I think I, that would be really cool. Yeah, and for the concepts, of the concept drawings in First Contact, mm-hmm. they really experimented with different Borg shapes, like oh, yeah. a tetrahedron, like some, a yeah. pyramid, the like all um, these like, crazy The obelisk. Oh, the obelisk. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, that. I thought that was really cool. I like how well, where this is a tangent, but the uh, the Borg Queen kind of looked like uh, Nefertiti. 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 Yeah, with the kind of like the elongated you know, head kind of.
1: Yeah, I like in the designs, they kind of were experimenting with like an Egyptian yeah. spin to it, which is kind of unique.
0: Yeah, and they, they kind of were... Kind of, at least in their early designs, making they were going to make the Borg a little bit more insectoid with like the way their arms moved and stuff. I mean, we obviously have the same book,
1: uh, right? Right, yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah. But we kind of see that insectoid appearance in first content the, because some of their armor looks more organic and okay. has that like bug carapace texture yeah. to it. Right, so. I And I know we talked about this before, but, but I think the reason why the Borg looked different in the next generation to First Contact, I think somewhere in between, they assimilated a species that elevated them to that next level in terms I, of their looks.
0: I wish I could agree with you, but they kind of, like...
1: They kind of retconned it with Voyager. Yeah, and yeah.
0: With Voyager and Picard. First
1: Contact, yeah.
0: Yeah, so, I mean... I wish that's that's what they went with and they like made reference to. They could have been like, Oh man, the Borg look a lot scarier or, you know, something like that. Just like yeah, a small like, little line. Too, yeah. Yeah. Could have like, you know, connected everything together. It would have been, you know,
1: perfect. And that would have been cool. That would've been cool to see Lacutus in first Contact in that flashback in the old makeup. Yeah, yeah. But I mean they kinda hinted it, they had the same placement of his stuff. Right. Because, right.
0: yeah. I mean, it it would have been beautiful to see, like, the assimilation process having an effect. They assimilate worlds and species and stuff to better themselves and this absorb the best technology of, of these species. Right. That would have been a perfect example of, like, the nanites. Exactly. Uh, you know...
1: Because when Picard got assimilated in best of both worlds, like they had to take him to an assimilation table mm-hmm. and then eject the nanites because then he turned white right, that kind right. of thing, so there had to have been some species that they assimilated that gave them that advanced ability right, and Does yeah, I really- wish. I wish they did make a comment in first contact. Like, whoa, the Borg are a lot different from when we last encountered them. Or right. something. That's all they could have said. The Borg are a lot different than when we last encountered <laughs> them. Something right. happened. That's it.
0: Exactly. That would have been awesome if they... Yeah.
1: <sighs> Moving on. <laughs> yeah. Let's not, let's not get let's, too worked up.
0: Yeah, so I'll make this a Borg episode.
1: Because uh, we could do that later. Yeah. Um, season six. So... This is where I start kind of bookending things.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: one of my favorites is the sequel to Elementary Dear Data, which is Ship in a Bottle. So Moriarty returns, only this time he, con- he gains control of the Enterprise in his quest to leave the holodeck. So I like this episode just because we get to see Moriarty again. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get to have Barkley, you know, again. Barkley. We- yeah, Barclay. And it's just interesting how the situation escalates so quickly with Moriarty. Mm-hmm. And he's able to trick them into thinking that they're on the Enterprise, but they're still trapped in the holodeck.
0: Yeah, I that was pretty slick.
1: And it's that cleverness that is shown again and calls back to making an opponent that not even Data can, that Data would have a hard time, you know, going against. Right. It took all of their efforts to figure out what the heck was going on Mm -hmm. in this episode and to figure out how Moriarty was tricking them.
0: Right. And then just so that they could figure out a real way to get him off the holodeck. They Mm -hmm. were setting up these transporter uh, pattern enhancers and all this other stuff to try to get him off the holodeck.
1: Yeah, and I feel like it's it was starting to maybe because of this show Starfleet's, you know, first early attempts at creating mobile holographic technology.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Because in Voyager, when they went on the Prometheus mm-hmm. ship, that ship had holographic emitters on every deck. Right. For the holographic emergency medical hologram. Right. And then eventually in the 29th century, they have mobile emitters. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's kind of like that early, you know, hint that holograms won't just be confined to the holodeck. Right. It's kind of, kind of scary too.
0: Because you could imagine creating a holographic Borg that then grabbed a holographic, a, a mobile emitter.
1: But it wouldn't be able to really assimilate anything.
0: But what if,
1: Unless it also replicated the nanites. But yeah, what if
0: it replicated nanites or something?
1: I don't know. Or so, or a... Well, just a any Klingon. kind of
0: dangerous...
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah, Someone that could do, you know, very dangerous harm to people.
0: Right. Uh, or...
1: Or someone as twisted as Moriarty. I mean, there could be, mm-hmm. you know, other really bad people like Hitler. I don't know. <laughs>
0: or say in in Star Trek Nemesis they uh revealed the Romulans were going to clone they cloned Picard and were going to try to infiltrate Starfleet with
1: a clone what about a holographic spy yeah yeah and voyager kind of touched upon that when the crew of when they had the crew of the equinox and they had an evil doctor like they and then he was able Did they to know? well no i mean I don't they this episode. Uh, The Equinox 2-parter when Voyager encountered... No, I I, I remember
0: the episode. I just don't remember the events.
1: Oh, okay. Well, they had their doctor. They basically stripped all of his moral subroutines so he would experiment on the aliens they were using to fuel their warp drive. Okay. So they stripped him of all his moral and ethical subroutines. And so when that doctor saw the doctor's mobile emitter, he, like, smacked it and transferred his program onto it and was posing as Voyager's doctor. And he oh, okay. was, like, a holographic spy. I see. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's some... You can get into some pretty weird stuff with the holographic technology. Right. And I think this episode goes to show the downside to the holodeck.
0: hmm Right, because you could get... Completely lost in the holodeck.
1: Oh yeah, and I mean, I I think that the whole like Moriarty tricking them into making them think it was the Enterprise. Like, come on, that's. Yeah. I mean, you could have someone fall asleep, put them in the holodeck. Well, that, that might be like a holodeck prank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> like, well, how do Star
1: Trek people prank in the future? Right. Well. Johnny over here is sleeping. Let's put him in the holodeck simulation of the Enterprise and have all these things happen to him. That's 24th century prank style.
0: Yeah, you've been punked.
1: <laughs> you've, been, you've been 24th century <laughs>
0: punked. Yeah. So he yeah, transport him right in, doesn't yep. even know it. Exactly. Crazy. That's crazy.
1: Um, my uh, the the When they end the episode, mm-hmm. I like that Barkley because um, he's so nervous and such a hypochondriac and worries all the time. I like that because of this episode, in the end, he was like, computer and program, even though he was in the real world, <laughs> just to make sure that he wasn't stuck in the holodeck. I thought that was pretty funny. That's cool. And in the
0: episode, um, Refresh My Memory, Yeah, did they, they put the Moriarty's program into a little running mobile holodeck thing? It was basically
1: right? a like a mobile computer core, like so, a mini so, computer core. So the program could always be running, okay. but not in the holodeck, but in its right. own like processing power or whatever. Got it, yeah. So, you know, he would think that he's, you know...
0: Doing his t- thing.
1: Yeah, doing yeah. his own thing, which... Do not ever run that in a real holodeck <laughs> because that would be horrible. That would I be. Star I wonder.
0: Fleet. I wonder what is going on in there. What kind that of crazy, crazy stuff?
1: Yeah. I, I don't even want to know.
0: I wonder where that is. I wonder if it was destroyed with the Enterprise D when it crashed,
1: or if it's. Or did they drop that off of the starbase for for the Starfleet? Hey, put this in a vault somewhere. <laughs> yeah. In the center of a planet and never open it up.
0: Right. I mean, uh, I guess they probably made a promise to him, right? In the episode? Yeah. So it's it's kind of interesting that they keep their promise and keep it running instead of, like, just turning off the power.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, kind of an interesting production note to this Mm -hmm. and why it took four seasons for them to have a sequel to this episode. Because the Sherlock Holmes' setting was very popular among the staff but early on, but use of the character was prevented by a legal dispute between Paramount and the estate of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. So, shipping a bottle happened because Jerry Taylor, who wrote the episode, decided, or was a producer as well, decided to reinvestigate the possibility of them doing an episode, mm-hmm. and only to find out that the whole situation was a misunderstanding. Oh, I see. Because the Conan Doyle estate had been irritated at Paramount because of the film young Sherlock Holmes. Ah, I see. But by the time this episode was conceived, they were willing to license the character for what they described as a reasonable licensing fee. I so see. they So the Star Trek people had in their minds that, you know, the Arthur Conan Doyle people in Paramount was this whole big legal dispute, when it really wasn't. They were just mad because of the failing of that one movie. I see. Yeah, so um yeah. <laughs> and I guess uh, Brent Spiner was really thrilled about this episode because he wanted to play Holmes again. Mm. And he really liked playing data playing Holmes. Right. <laughs> <Brent. laughs> uh, next is the episode Rightful Heir at the Klingon Monastery on Borath. Worf sees a very real vision of Kallus the Unforgivable. Or Unforgettable. Unforgettable, not Unforgivable. <laughs> <laughs> I really like this episode because it's a what-if. It's kind of like, basically, what if the Vatican cloned Jesus and said, Hey, everyone, here's Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because that's basically what happens in this episode. Yeah, The Klingon monks basically clone Kalos from, you know, the blood on his original bat or whatever that was. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: And basically tout him as the second coming of Kalos. I mean, it's a very, like... I think they got away with this episode because it wasn't specifically like, hey, this is clone Jesus. It's like... (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, what if it was an alien Jesus? So that's why I really like this episode because mm-hmm. it gets into the heart of Klingon religion. Right. And it really touches on Worf coming to terms with his Klingon religion side. Mm-hmm.
3: Right.
1: And I really like the character of Kalas uh, or mm-hmm. Kalas. Kalas. Uh, I thought that it was well acted and I just really liked the concept for this episode. And we got to see Galron and who's, you know, one of my favorite Klingons. I really liked him in D Space Nine. I really liked what a bastard he was in the next generation and I really like his character. Right. Um, and then we get I mean we get to see Kern again. And there's just a lot of ties to previous Klingon episodes, and it really ties into Worf's continuing journey with his own people. And that's why I think this is one of the best moments in this season
0: i I agree uh it's not one of my favorite episodes per se but i I like the episode mmm it's it's interesting to see uh, like the points that you just brought up uh it's something that I didn't quite think of before, but mm-hmm. you're totally you're spot on with the second coming of uh a religious figurehead
1: right. And how would that affect a whole people? And, I mean, at the end, you know, at the end, they're basically, you know, saying that, you know, Kallus can be an emperor, a guide, you know, he could be, he could return people to the true Klingon ways. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, even though he's not really Kallus, he could be his rightful heir, hint, hint. Right. So, that's interesting. It's like, he embodies all of what the Klingon people are about. I mean, it's a religion for him. Like his, you know, they revere him like a Jesus. So, I, I really like the implications of this episode. I like the parallels that you could draw in the real world. Like, it raises mm-hmm. the question, what would happen if, you know, the second coming of Jesus happened, but, wah Why it's a clone, but in a way, it's still him. Like, so it raises some... Weird I don't know, it raises some issues, like some interesting moral issues.
0: It it does. Uh with any clone, really. Oh well, yeah, would, any clone. It would raise some moral issues like is it really a person? Is it soulless? Is it this that, Is it and the other really
1: thing? a duplicate of me? Are they different? mm mm-hmm. You know, what yeah, what could that, you know, implicate in the future? So I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's an interesting episode. And I think the first time we really see Klingon religion.
1: Yeah, and the fact that they have monasteries. Right. I, and, and, yeah.
0: yeah, It's very interesting. And The first time you really see a Klingon praying, because uh, Worf is praying at this monastery. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting.
1: Klingons
0: and, are a very interesting species.
1: Yeah, and they touch upon more in Klingon religion in Deep Space Nine and Voyager. They go a little bit more into it. Mm-hmm. Especially, uh, we see Grether, which is Klingon hell, in Voyager from B'Elanna. So, yeah, it's. Um, I, I think this is a great launching point. This is a, this episode is a great launching point in exploring the Klingon religion.
0: All right. I wish we saw more of Kalos uh, in other episodes. Like in Deep Space Nine, it would have been perfect uh, because of all those Klingon episodes. And oh yeah. There was a, you know, the the war with the Federation.
1: Yeah, I think there's a little bit of a missed opportunity there.
0: Yeah, That's it fun. would have been quite interesting to see. And then with uh, Martok becomes Chancellor, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it would have been cool to see, like, some kind of ceremony with uh, Kalos,
1: you know. Yeah, Kalos participating, yeah, definitely. Yeah. My next pick kind of deals with season six and season seven mm-hmm. because it is Descent parts one and two. Right. So this is where the Borg begin a new offensive against the Federation, but this time they're acting as individuals. Teyla's experiences with his emotions while finding them, and it deals with lore and this rogue of rogue individual Klingons or Borg. <laughs> wow, Klingons. <laughs> I like this episode because it kind of combines a wrap up to not only uh, Lord's storyline but also Hughes and the individual Borg. Right. Plus, the the compound that they're at is the command center in Power Rangers. Like that's that outside.
0: That's right. You mentioned that in the previous episode. I did. Yes, that's did right. Did I? Oh, I did. You did. You did. <laughs>
1: So, but this is, like, filmed before, you know, that show. This is, like, this is a year, uh, a few months. This aired a few months before Power Rangers premiered. Okay. But anyways. No, I like this episode because of the Borg and the concept of lore working with the Borg. Mm -hmm. And that he was able to basically manipulate them into doing, you know, his will, essentially. So... I thought it was one of the stronger uh, two parters of the next oh, generation.
0: I kind of disagree with you. Uh, I thought this two parter fell short in my, oh. in my eyes. I, I thought this episode could have been way better than it than it was. Well, that's that's your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> that is my opinion. Uh, I mean, I th- the individual concepts of this episode are are great. Yeah, I think the execution of them was a little. Uh,
1: Yeah, I I can see that. I mean, you know, maybe in some concepts. Again, it's been a while since I've actually seen this episode. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'm just remembering it for the, oh my God, it's lore and the Borg (laughs) and everything's happening. I do like that we get some new concepts with the Borg. Like we first get mention of a transwarp conduit. Right. Uh, We get those mentions. I like the design of the rogue Borg ship.
0: Right, I do too.
1: That was one of my favorite uh things. uh I liked it mm-hmm. i I thought they had a lot of great action sequences, especially with the you know Borg shootout in the forest, you know near their temple or whatever, and uh, some of the ship stuff with the enterprise and the rogue Borg ship and also the metaphasic shields and the enterprise flying into the sun. that was cool, yeah, that was very cool. And plus we get to see Lore again, which is right. kind of awesome.
0: One of my uh, my favorite moments from this episode is when Data is trying to relive the moment where he felt emotion. Mm-hmm. We later learn that it was Lore feeding him emotions. But Data didn't know that, and he was trying to recreate this moment on the holodeck. Mm-hmm. And he he felt this moment when he basically picked a... Borg up by the neck. It was like stop, 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 and flung him across the room. Yeah. So in the holodeck, it's unintentionally uh, funny because Data grabs him, and goes stop, 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 and kind of just tosses him without feeling the emotion. So it's kind of funny. Right. Like he's like, you know, uh, stop, and then throws him. <laughs> <laughs> I th- that was one of my favorite moments, and the. Discussion between him and Jordy about you know basically you know we're friends. He Jordy tri- tries to talk to him to try to get him to stop what he's doing, and I thought that interaction was good.
1: Yeah, that is a build up from this whole series that really showcases Jordy's friendship with Data, mm-hmm. and over the seasons they've grown together as friends, and it's that culmination where, you know, LaForge is like, come on, I'll, you know, we're friends, you know, you don't have to do this, that kind of a thing. That I think that's a great payoff from, you know, all the years of watching as a fan and growing with these characters. And I really think that's what the seventh season is all about. Mm-hmm. Also, I, I think it's kind of emotional when, you know... Data has to, you know, chase after Lore, shoots him, and then deactivates him. And Lore was it Lore's last words or Data's, where he says, "I love you, brother." That was yeah. Lore, right? Lore, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's just like, whoa, like, you know, he did have those emotions,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I like that, you know, this is kind of a send off for Hugh too, because you know he leaves with those individual Borg, and although we don't know what happens to him. You know, I think that's a good bookend for the I Borg episode too. Like now right. Hugh has the chance to become a leader, you know, in his own group and right. excel as an individual. And then this episode ends with Data's emotion chip that they retrieved yeah. from Lore's body, which comes into play, of course, in generations and the movies. Right. So I like, even though that this is the last season and things are wrapping up, this still leads to these story threads that continue in the future movies. Mm-hmm. So right. I, I don't know if it's the writers or whatever, but I love that they're able to take these threads and continue going with them and right. doing these new story possibilities with all the past history of Star Trek. That's why I hope when we get a new TV show at... Um, you know, takes to heart those kind of topics and right. it's we not can just draw a, from the action. past. Yeah. 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 Now my last uh, favorite episode of season seven, and again, you're probably going to disagree with me. I know it's not everyone's favorite, but it's the episode journey's end. Mm-hmm. So while visiting the enterprise, Wesley Crusher protests, the removal of native Americans from a planet ceded to the Cardassians. I like this episode because you know it's kind of like Wesley's send-off. We get the tie-in with the Traveler, mm-hmm. so we get a ramp up to that, and it also starts dealing with concepts that will really impact Deep Space Nine, which is and that we're we're dealing with the whole season seven with the Bajorans, Ensign mm-hmm. Rowe, you know the Cardassians becoming a major villain player. And even though the Federation and the Cardassians came to this agreement and, you know, their Federation is returning some planets to Cardassian control, it kind of makes the Federation look like jerks. Right. And especially having that Native American parallel. Right. Like, you know, what the heck, we're giving away the land of the Native Americans again? Like, what's going right. on? Yeah. Like, we basically gave them a whole, like, gave this one tribe a whole planet to colonize, like... Now we're taking it back like it was to me, it was such a great concept mm-hmm. to explore those issues again. Right. Interesting little tidbit. This planet that they're on, uh, Dorvan Five, is actually supposed to be uh, Chakotay's home planet. This oh, really? is where he's from. Yeah. Hmm,
0: interesting. So, and well that brings in the marquee angle.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So they actually, even though it's not said in Voyager, mm-hmm. the Voyager relaunch novels really say, "Oh yeah, he's from this planet." Okay. That's why he got involved with the Maquis. Okay. And it deals with his sister, his all of that. So.
0: I wish they said it, that during the series.
1: <laughs> I wish they did too. That yeah. would have been amazing. Then you're like, whoa. Exactly. Mind yeah. Blown. And then, you, then you'd then you instantly know why he hates the Cardassians. Like, boom, here it is, right here. And why he wouldn't like the Federation as well. Because mm-hmm. they they basically said, well, here you go, Cardassians. Here's this planet. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> so, but I like that this sets up what happens in Deep Space Nine. Like, you know, the Federation of the Cardassians, like after their previous war, and we're finally making reparations and all that stuff, and then, boom, the Cardassians are still total dicks, and, you know, they're enslaving Bajorans, and here we go, Deep Space Nine. Mm -hmm. So I really like how this sets the tone for future Cardassian stories Mm
3: -hmm. and
1: setting them up and their conflicts, and it makes sense why the Maquis come about because of directly the storyline that the Federation get, gave up these worlds to the Cardassians and thus the Ma- Maquis were formed. Hmm. So Very good. it works on several levels for me, right. but I like that this is um, kind of like the last journey for Wesley.
3: Right.
1: And it's kind of like that coming of age, like he can finally make his choice. You know, he's not tied down to Starfleet. You know, he has this mm-hmm. bigger destiny with the traveler. And Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, I I quite enjoyed it.
0: No, it's uh it's an interesting episode and I agree with all your points that you've made for the episode.
1: And plus uh, we get to see Golovek and he's like a total jerk. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a great character too. Right. He's uh, like that villain that you're like, uh exactly. Vec? <laughs> Not you again. Uh. I
0: kind of I don't like the direction they went with Wesley at the end. Mm. I kind of wish, which they kind of hint at anyway in Nemesis that Wesley was back into Starfleet. Yeah. Uh, but I kind of wish Wesley didn't leave Starfleet. I felt like it was a good fit for him. And continuing with, you know, he wants to go in his father's footsteps. Right. Uh, I kind of wish that that happened mm. instead. But it's it was good that they you know went back to the traveler. Uh it could have been done a little differently.
1: So kind of uh I'm reading Memory Alpha for this. Mm-hmm. And here's an explanation. Uh, Ronald uh D. Moore, who went on to produce Deep Space Nine mm-hmm. and also the future Battlestar Galactica series. He said this about Wesley and the going with the Traveler and Southern Academy. So he said, I was the one who pushed to get Wesley out of the Academy and send him off with the Traveler. I felt that there's this built-in contradiction in a character that we said was like Mozart in his appreciation of higher mathematics and physics, yet he was just on the same career path as any Starfleet cadet. I didn't get it. If Wes is truly special and gifted, what the hell is he doing at the helm? It seemed like he was only going to do the Academy to live up to the memory of his father and the expectations of Picard, not because it was his best destiny. Journey's End also seemed like an opportunity to see someone walk away from Starfleet with their head held high and just say, it's cool, but not for me. I was tired of everyone in the 24th century saying, all I want to do is wear the uniform and serve on a starship. Hey, it's cool, but it's not for everyone. So I pushed to have Wes realize his destiny was elsewhere and have him walk away. And I kind of agree with that. Okay. I think it's it's a great concept to... You know, 'cause in Star Trek, all we see is the Starfleet side of things. And it's kind of refreshing to see someone, you know, realize what, you know, the Federation is all about. If it mm-hmm. you know, human betterment and all of that stuff, you know, that Star Trek proposes, mm-hmm. you know, why not have Wesley say, well, I could do something better. I can realize my potential more if I go this way and not mm-hmm. Starfleet. Yeah, Starfleet gave him this great education and you know, it gave him options, but now it's like, cool, maybe I'll just pal around with the travel for a few years and totally expand my mind. And, right. Because, you know, yeah, he probably comes back to Starfleet, but now he probably has all this knowledge and greater understanding of the universe. And You could say it's a metaphor for, like, a coming-of-age story, Mm -hmm. and I think the reason I like this episode was, you know, this episode aired, you know, when I was, like, 12. You know, that's, like, a coming-of-age for any kid, like, Mm -hmm. you know, realizing that there's something greater. So, that's why I have a fond uh, appreciation of this episode. I see. I know a lot of people rag on Wesley's character, Mm -hmm. but... I think if you were a kid watching The Next Generation, he was the one that you could identify with the most because he's like a kid on the Enterprise. Right. And right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, I kind of agree with you.
1: You don't have to. It's okay.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I'm i okay with the character of Wesley. Uh-huh.
1: Uh, I, oh, don't get me wrong. There's some times where I'm like, God, just shut up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, at the beginning beginning of the series, especially, it was like this oh, yeah. kid and all this other stuff. I, I, I'm I, cool with him joining with the Traveler and stuff. I just don't like how the dots were connected in this episode for some reason. Mm. I, I, I don't know. I wish it was more, more of a fluid transition. Like, I feel like maybe the Traveler kind of manipulated him in the episode to go that way instead of having, see. instead of having Wesley kind of like on his own, just coming to the conclusion, Oh, I should do this, do this instead.
1: All right. No, and I, then I it, can see that.
0: And then in the nemesis, we see him sitting at the table in a Starfleet dress uniform.
1: Although that could be like an honorary dress uniform. Cause he was mm, once a Starfleet, like, he never really resigned his commission.
0: He would have to, though. He was a—he was just a oh, cadet. Oh yeah, that's,
1: yeah. I don't know.
0: So he—he he never but actually became an officer.
1: I don't. But know. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I—I I think you had a, a very good list of, of episodes.
1: Well, thank you for, for
0: the next generation. And I mean, 178 episodes. Obviously, there are going to be some bad ones, but I think so, yeah. for for the majority. <laughs> Most of the Next Generation episodes are really good.
1: Yeah, I think so too. It, yeah. it, it was, it was kind of hard um, to pick some of these episodes mm-hmm. because you guys really did pick the best right. of the best. But I think these are also in that upper tier of Next Generation episodes.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and you're right. I picked episodes to put into, that, that, into the last episode that I didn't necessarily like, like Inner Light. Mm-hmm. I don't really like that episode. Really? I It was, again, when I was younger. And the, oh, you thought it
1: was a little boring?
0: Yeah, the slow pace of it. I mean, now that I'm older, I appreciate it, but I still don't really love the episode. Okay. But I included it because everyone loves that episode and everyone's like, oh, <laughs> this is such a good Star Trek episode. <laughs> so I put it in.
1: Um, yeah, and, and I mean, th- there were a couple that I considered putting in, but didn't so right. you know and that's what's great about the next generation or you know any of these shows everyone has their favorite you know your favorite could be someone else's worst episode ever it's So true. that's I think that's a beauty of Star Trek there's something yeah. for everyone
0: yeah definitely
1: so let's move on to our subspace channels let's which has nothing to do with the next generation because we didn't know we were going to do this episode until, <laughs> like, an hour ago. Right. But <laughs> So what was the question?
0: If you could have any piece of Star Trek tech, what would it be and why?
1: Awesome. What would yours be?
0: Oh, that's a very good question because I didn't think of an answer.
1: I can tell you exactly what I would want. Okay, shoot. I want the Delta Flyer. I want the Delta flyer from Voyager. Mm-hmm. That is like the best shuttle ever. It is because it's awesome. Shut it up! It is uh, no, 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 no. <laughs>
0: it's an awesome. I mean, outside of the fact of Voyager, <laughs> right? It's it is an awesome shuttle, and I could see that shuttle being in use in you know Starfleet, like everywhere. oh yeah.
1: Once Voyager got back home, they're probably like, whoa, what is this? This is standard now, forever.
0: Yeah, I mean... (laughs) We like this. It's an awesome design. It's almost like a runabout, but not quite.
1: It's that nice in-between.
0: Yeah, yeah. And And I like
1: that it's aerodynamic, it can go underwater. You know, it's multifunctional.
0: Right, I I really like the micro torpedoes that it has. Yes. I think that's kind of cool. I don't know what it... (laughs) <laughs> what it would do to, like, if it was in a firefight with, like, a Borg chip or, you know, a Catassian <laughs> ship, but uh, I think it's cool to have.
1: Yeah, I think it's, like, a cool like, let's get the it, hell out of here type of thing. It has escape pods. It does. I mean, Which what are very shuttles, coffin-like.
0: <laughs> yeah, what shuttle has an escape pod? No shuttle ever. Exactly. So, I, mean, I think that's uh pretty cool.
1: Yeah. I just like that I mean that would basically be my fly around apartment. Like I would just be like, I'm good with, I'm good with the, good with the delta cave. flyer. Yeah. Yeah. Your
0: your man cave. Does up nine we come said
1: with it? I hope so. <laughs> um, well, maybe. <laughs> uh, so now mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of people have basically picked like an actual one thing of track tech, right. but. I'm kind of saying the Delta Flyer because then I get it all. Then I get the replicators and the transporter and the phasers, and I get right. all of it in one package.
0: Right. If I was gonna pick just one thing from Star Trek, mm-hmm. uh, for me personal, for personal use, I would get a phaser, just because what? I think I think phasers are awesome. <laughs> I love phasers.
1: Would you go around stunning people? Like, what would? No, you?
0: <laughs> I I want
1: you're going right to heat up your bear food arms. really quickly right.
0: Wait, right to bear arms. <laughs> so I would have a wall just full of phasers I think that's that's so cool I like the different phaser designs
1: I love the yeah but I mean now as for far practical as practical use, practicality in your everyday <laughs> life right? you're not going to be like oh I hate your guts stun, or oh, yeah. like oh disintegrate like what are you going to do
0: Right, uh, so I... In, You're going to
1: heat a rock very effectively? Like, what do you...
0: <laughs> in practical uses, uh-huh. uh, I would... Well, what I really want is warp technology so that we can go out there and explore stuff. But,
1: yeah, I want that so we don't, like, ruin the planet and we can, like...
0: So we can go colonize. and ruin yeah. parts of other planets. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I would think the transporter...
1: See, I would want the replicator.
0: But see, the replicator, I mean, the transporter could technically be used as a replicator because it could be materialized.
1: Same technology. Yeah. Yeah. And then think of all the, you know, trash that we could get rid of. We could just, like, destroy it in a transporter pattern buffer or recycle it.
0: Yeah, well, with, yeah, exactly. Change it into something else. Yeah, we can take the raw material and
1: make stuff make cool stuff yeah Yeah, like, like phasers or transporters or phasers <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah I, I would go with I guess transporters because I I would
1: like, like I, a transporter because I could get to work like that even though yeah. I live a mile away but I mean I you could get anywhere you could go anywhere right. like I could go to China boom I'm there mm-hmm. I could go to Japan uh, here I am right that'd be crazy
0: it would be it'd be very crazy it'd be fun all right. it could be fun. Except I was watching a thing earlier about oh like practical actual transporters, mm-hmm. and basically what they would really do is just scan scan a person, okay, it, destroy the original, and just make a clone somewhere else.
1: Yeah, it's um, there's a whole book like it's the, the meta of uh, Star Trek.
0: Yeah, I I have that one and have the physics of star trek
1: and they deal with that they're like are you really who you are on the other side like right and we see that with
0: an episode which could be on this list i can't remember the name of it off off the top of my head but it's the one where tom Riker is created due to a transporter accident
1: that is called second chances
0: second chances That is a really good episode. It is. And
1: it almost made my favorites of Season 6.
0: Yeah, it's a really good episode, and it has a bookend in Deep Space Nine.
1: It does. So, yeah, Thomas Riker. Yeah, and there's all those types of questions. And even in the original series, they had a transporter accident where it split Kirk into, like, one really good person and one really evil person. Right. So... Yeah, the transporter, I think, is a double-edged sword. If we could eliminate some of the uh, negative consequences of the transporter, Mm -hmm. I would be okay with it. Right. But let's see what everyone else had to say.
0: Let's. So from Twitter, we have at Jaffa Star, a transporter, because my friends are all so very far away. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I added some words in there. But, uh, Yeah. So I agree.
1: Yes, I agree with that. If if we had transporters, I could beam into your living room to record the episode.
0: That's true. Imagine how simpler that would be. It
1: would be easier. Yeah. We don't have to deal with all this Googles and the stuff and the technology and.
0: Uh, next, <laughs> we have <laughs> at little cute girl eighty six, who says. It is a toss up between transporter and replicator because with the transporter, you could beam anywhere within seconds. And with the replicator, you have food.
1: You could make any kind of food ever. True. Which is kind of awesome, with no cooking. I would kinda like that. I would. Just I don't Because like I'm cooking. lazy. <laughs> exactly.
0: I mean I have a microwave, which is the closest thing we have Right I mean,
1: I, I've been cooking more uh, since I live on my own, mm-hmm. but it's such a waste of time. Like it's like, oh, I gotta make this, and oh, I gotta do this, and right. And then you have to hassle, clean the dishes, which is the worst ever. Yes, I mean, don't look at my sink. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we have uh, Hogwarts Jedi, mm-hmm. and she says, a holodeck definitely. There are so many different worlds and time periods I'd love to safely explore. I think that's a good point because, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you could go into the battle of, you know, you could go to the Civil War and not get shot or not get hurt by getting shot.
0: Unless someone turns off the safety protocols.
1: But what kind of jerk would do that? Not in my holodeck.
0: (laughs) (laughs) A twentieth century prankster? Twenty first century uh,
1: there you prankster. Go. Ah, you got shot by a real bullet and the civil war. <laughs> <laughs> Punked. <laughs>
0: and now they're gonna cut your arm off because they have inadequate medical technology in the nineteenth century. Okay. Anyway. All right. On to
1: Facebook.
0: <laughs> we have Eric Dewey of the Socially Awkward Studios podcast would be a tough call for me between replicator and transporter. I love the idea of being able to get anywhere I want in an instant, but ultimately, with a replicator, I could just replicate (laughs) enough money to hire a private driver (laughs) to take me places. So there's that. (laughs) I I guess.
1: I didn't think about that. Like, if you had a piece of Star Trek technology today, you Mm -hmm. could totally exploit it. And Voyager kind of did that with that... Future, future tense, or whatever the hell that was. Right. Futures end, or I don't know what it was, but yeah, when they went back to ninety six. Right. Moving on to Google Plus, Andy Kravlajica, but we're gonna we're gonna call him Andy Krav, and I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, Andy, we apologize. But Andy says, replicator, endless food, endless stuff, total no brainer for me. Smiley face. I, I agree. agree. Yeah. yeah.
0: Thank you, Andy.
1: Ta- I'll let you take the easier <laughs> ones.
0: <laughs> next, we have Joanne King, who says, Transporter, then I could see my grandkids and still be back at work the next day. That's great. Yeah. That's perfect. Uh, next, we have Sergio Sanchez, who says, Warp Drive, time to explore the cosmos. Smiley face. I agree. Yes. Next, we have Richard Lopez, who also says warp drive or transporter, transporter. Pollution would be over.
1: And that's kind of what we talked about. Mm-hmm. Next, we have the totally Serbian name going on. so so uh, I put this into Google Translate, so I apologize if I still pronounce this wrong. Zroska Rankovic, who says, I'm... I forgive us for these transgressions if we totally butcher your name, but they say universal translator. Of course, why? Because it's hard to be one. It's hard to be. Okay, <laughs> right, so it's hard to be a universal translator because not everyone knows all the languages, right? I think that's an interesting one. Yeah, that goes against everyone saying transporter. <laughs> it does. Because then we could we could all understand each other, and I think that would uh, go well for international relations. Yes. Like pronouncing people's names correctly.
0: Indeed, and uh, I on my iPhone here, there's a Google Translate app. The cool thing about it is I can hit the microphone and I can speak into it, and then it will I can play the output into different languages. Really? Yeah, so you could potentially pass this back and forth between someone who doesn't speak your language and have a full conversation.
1: Wow, we are almost there.
0: Yeah, it'll be awesome if like, you know, it's if it was just something that you could like in the next gen, it's presumably built into the
1: communicator. communicator.
0: Yeah. So, you know, just walk around with something like that on your chest.
1: Now, there's a piece of wearable technology that I would wear.
0: True that.
1: Next we have <laughs> <laughs> Next we have Jonathan Abed who says the holodeck or holodeck sweets. Why? Well use your imagination. Oh big snap. smiley face.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think we could all get a little weird in the holodeck. Anyways.
0: Yeah, like Barkley.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or, or Quark.
0: Or well, but that that was <laughs> what he sold the his Hollow Suites for. For specific programs. Yes. Quark, there. Yes. Moving on. What uh, were you doing
1: with your eyebrow? I don't know.
0: <laughs> I had like an itch.
1: I thought you were trying to give me a signal like. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: specific
1: <No>. programs?
0: <laughs> um, next, we have Sandra Treasure who says a teleporter. Who doesn't want a teleporter?
1: Well. <laughs> Everyone wants one. Next, we have Osvaldo Doderlin, who says, worth notice that nobody mentions communicators or computers, as we have today stuff that's much better than TOS or even TNG-era gear. But I think they have much more sophisticated computer technology than we do.
0: Yeah, they would have to, right?
1: I mean, God, to run the holodeck even?
0: Yeah. I mean, their computing power has to leap and bounce.
1: It's something crazy. Like, if you read the next generation tech manual, Mm -hmm. it's some insane infinite amount. I mean, they basically have quantum computing. That's what it Mm -hmm. is. They have some of the fastest computers that will ever be, you know. I mean, the computer is almost sentient. Right. It's like Siri gone wild. I mean, that's what it is. (laughs)
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) because I've played around with Siri a little bit, and she's nothing like the enterprise computer, I'll tell you that.
1: But you wish she was.
0: I do. You know, Siri cannot close programs, but she can open programs. Why can't she close programs? That doesn't make any sense to me. But anyway,
1: I mean, come on! You you say computer and program, and it's done. Yeah, I that's mean, what I, they do in Star Trek. Come
0: why on. can't why can't Siri close close a program? Close my app. Come on, what the heck? Anywho,
1: Siri, close Twitter. <laughs> and this yeah, is
0: sorry, I cannot close apps.
1: That's a joke. Yeah, I sure. think Apple needs to get on that.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: but she can open them.
0: She can open them. I could be like, open Twitter app, and there it goes. My Twitter app is now open.
1: What? But damned if she can close it. Yeah. So, what puts your quantum state into flux?
0: So, this week, the Type 1 Phaser from Star Trek The Next Generation. Although it was Roddenberry's favorite because it showed the power and advancement of the 24th century, it was not very intimidating. The Type 2 phasers of TNG were not modular, like the models from a century earlier, so the need for a small weapon didn't seem clear. If the Type 1 fit into the Type 2, like a century earlier, we may have seen this weapon beyond the first season. Real world reasons this phaser was phased out is because... Is because it could hardly be seen on camera, and phaser beams appear to be coming from the fingertips of the actors. Another in-universe reason could be the weapon was too concealable and could possibly pose a threat to crew members and civilians.
1: I like that in-universe answer. I made um, it up.
0: I hope it's it's probably the reason.
1: Yeah, it could be. I imagine it could be a reason. Yeah, I really didn't see the point of it. Really?
0: Right. It was nicknamed the cricket.
1: Yeah, I have uh, a a toy version of it, but mm-hmm. the toy version is huge. Uh, yeah. I I have yeah. the Playmates version. It's like it's like it's like this big. It's like right. the palm of my hand or a little bit bigger than the palm of my hand.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Definitely not what they had in the show. I mean, what right. they had in the show was like beep, pew.
0: Right. Like, you yeah. could hide it in the in the waistband of of your pants. And right. Riker did that in the episode Conspiracy. It was either Riker or Picard did that in the episode Conspiracy. I forget which one did that.
1: Yeah, and yeah, it just seemed like there was no point of it because mm-hmm. if it had the same capabilities as a, a Type Two phaser, you know, why even have a Type Two phaser mm-hmm. unless the Type Two phaser just had the higher settings? But then right. just carry one of those around all the time.
0: Right. It, it seemed it would seem to be easier to handle than boring. the Type 1.
1: But I did not like the Type 2 phasers from the first couple seasons that were The nicknamed. Dustbuster? The Dustbuster. <laughs> yeah. Those no, were too ridiculous.
0: Yeah, those were those were really stupid. I liked how they evolved into that angular phaser that we this, know. This,
1: yeah. That looked more like a dolphin, kind of. And they nicknamed that, you know, the Dolphin Phaser.
0: Later on, when uh, it got into the movies, where they... They even
1: slimmed it even further, yeah. It
0: had the, because...
1: More of a curve.
0: More of a curve. And that's the one that has the nickname Dolphin? Because the one from the series was just a straight edge?
1: Um, It wasn't all straight, because Voyager Type 2 Phaser was kind of in between the straight and the dolphin. There's a slighter okay. curve to it.
0: Well, the Voyagers. Oh, Voyager had like different equipment. They also had a Type 3 phaser. No, but even,
1: yeah, but even D-Space 9, their Type 2 phasers, had the Voyager style to them. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. It's just an evolution of the phaser. Yeah, Don't fight yeah. me on this.
0: No, I, I won't fight you. I won't fight you. <laughs> so actually, some of the artwork for the the in the book, the artwork of Star Trek. Yes. They have some ideas for phasers for for the next generation, and oh, they okay. pl- they played around with the idea of having a modular phaser with the type one fitting into the type two.
1: Yes, I do remember that.
0: Yes. Yeah, so that cricket.
1: Discrete sucked. Weapon. Yeah, it sucked. I didn't like it.
0: I mean, it could disintegrate. I mean, what's what's the point of having the type two?
1: I don't know. I don't know what the point is.
0: The the dustbuster says it has ten levels of disruption. Why do you need ten levels of disruption?
1: So you can have a slightly warmer rock. I I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, I would think disruption would be like a disruptor where it like rips you apart.
1: Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. It's
0: kind of crazy. But, I like how it it kind of incorporates the the three buttons where it has the
1: yeah, and we see the the same elements are there, right, like the dust bunny one has um the same those like outer square vents that the right. cricket has, so it has yep. those same elements right, and it was weird because the front. Of the dust bunny phaser, mm-hmm. looks like a mini deflector. deflector dish. Yeah, doesn't it?
0: It does. It does.
1: Okay, so that's not just me, but yeah, yeah the no, front it of that yeah. the front of that thing was huge. That was just dumb. <laughs> that was not yeah. a good choice. <laughs>
0: yeah, it makes more sense to have a more confined beam,
1: right? Instead but of that, even even the if the beam emitter was smaller, they mm-hmm. could still do the wide. They could still program the phaser to do a wide area of effect,
0: right? And though no, so. something that was in that episode with Data Lore in Data Lore with the the Dustbuster phaser, it caught uh, Doctor Crusher's lab coat on fire. What? Yeah, when he when Lore fired the phaser, it caught her lab coat on fire. If I'm not mistaken.
1: Oh, I'm having a hard time remembering that. I'll have to watch that again.
0: Yeah, watch it. I'm I'm pretty um
1: maybe maybe that's one of those disruption sure. effects.
0: I guess. I'm I'm like 90% sure that that happened. I remember her running out of the cargo bay with her um, lab coat on fire.
1: <laughs> Just stop dropping roll, Dr. Crusher. <laughs> Just stop dropping roll. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so Weird. yeah.
0: Yeah, um, so that's what gets my quantum state into Flux, the Type 1 phaser from Star Trek The Next Generation.
1: I would have to wholeheartedly agree with this. That sucked.
0: Yeah, and I'm really glad it didn't last beyond the first season.
1: Yeah, thank God.
0: Yeah, it's I mean, if they, it, <laughs> if they had it part of the Type 2 phaser somehow, it would have been cool. I think. But yeah,
1: no. no. Yeah, I mean, they yeah. would—they
0: would never need to actually take it out. You wouldn't need. Yeah, to take and that. it would
1: be more of a homage to the original right. series.
0: and And that's well, what. Then, some did of, they
1: even use it that much in the original series?
0: Uh, not too much.
1: See, too much. I don't know.
0: But it w- looked a lot cooler than. Oh, did, <laughs> than oh, the yeah. cricket. It, yeah. <laughs> I mean, ooh, the cricket. You
1: know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That sounds really intimidating.
0: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Dumb yeah. phasers.
1: <laughs> Dumb Type 1 cricket.
0: The Get out of here. Some of the designs for the Type 2 phasers were really cool that had this...
1: Kind of like a modular the, system to the, it. The
0: modular system. Like the... Basically, the Type One phaser clicked into the front, so the front of it was removable, and that was the.
1: So type it almost one. made it like the Type Two just added a, like a really nice ergonomical handle to the Type One phaser, and yeah. the Type One phaser was like the real phaser, part right. Of it, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. For for the most part, there was another one that was like really weird. Do you know those flashlights that come up and have like a? Light facing forward, so you hold it like a stick.
1: Yeah, that's like a like a military style flashlight. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they had a phaser that was basically that okay, as one That's one of their designs.
1: That's stupid.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where they have the type one. Oh yeah, that, that
1: looks really threatening. In. Like, ah, I'm gonna shoot you with my stick flashlight.
0: Yeah. So yeah, the type one kind of clicked into where the the flashlight would be. And, yeah, I
1: don't like that. Yeah. I'm I'm glad they ended up doing what they did.
0: Yeah, the angular phaser from yeah from uh, twenty three sixty six twenty three sixty
1: six. That was a bad year for phasers. Let me tell you.
0: <laughs> it was a good year. That's the year that they got the angular.
1: Oh well. Oh, good. Good for them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Eric, thank you for doing this episode with me today.
1: Well, thank you for letting me have a chance to talk about some of my favorite Next Generation episodes.
0: No problem. I I think this is a great episode and I I can't wait for our listeners to hear it.
1: Likewise.
0: So, until next time, I'm Aaron.
1: And I'm Eric.
0: And we'll see you later.
1: Keep on trekking. It's trekking time. It's always trekking time at the Barry household. Oh, snap. Oh, snap. Two snaps on the Star Trek list.
0: Oh. You've been listening to the Starfleet Escape podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where you can catch a new episode every other Monday. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at sfescapepod. Like us on facebook.com/sfescapepod. And add us to your circle on Google Plus by going to google.sfxscapepod.com. Kyle here. If you're like me, then you want all your shows in one spot. Or a lot of shows in the same place. Or better yet, some really great podcasts all on one network. Visit foureyedradio.com for all the best shows featured on Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, iTunes, MixCloud, and more. 4 Eyed Radio. Network. The Fern.